Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Empty backfield, trips right for Bo with a snap and throw. Steps, no throw there, going to run to the right. Now we'll throw wide open end zone. Touchdown, Oregon. Touchdown, Ducks, Tez Johnson. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important. So is your budget. Penix wants to throw. Looking downfield. Looking, looking. Takes a shot. Roll McDoonsie. Did he hold on? Yes, sir. Touchdown, Washington. Roll McDoonsie. Playing a Belindikoff kind of game. Another explosive this time for 33. And the Huskies take the lead. 65 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. Here's Benson on the delay. Good call, well executed. Benson heading toward the end zone. 38 yard touchdown, Florida State. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Florida drops into a zone. Daniels trying to run it. Gets some space. What a move! Jaden Daniels again! Sixty-five Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Loftus with three touchdown passes tonight in his second career start, trying to tie the game. Throws, in zone, no, and that's it. Carolina keeps the victory bell in double overtime. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. All right, here we go after another weekend of evidence as we start what I think is either week number 12 or 13 of the college football season. Two weeks left in the regular season. Championship, conference championship weekend, that first week in December. Coaching changes, coaching speculation, rumors, and all of that. There is so much to grab around. Plus, hey, how about UCF and what they did to Oklahoma State? Iowa State keeps rolling. 
Uh, Kansas State blows out Baylor. Texas uh, wins also at TCU. And Texas Tech with a huge win for bowl eligibility uh, against Kansas on the road. And Oklahoma hammered West Virginia. We'll get into all of that. Look at the schedule. Look at all of that if we possibly can. Greg McNeil won the TexasBeefHouse.com Pick'em Contest. Greg, uh, GMAC, thanks for your time uh, on what you do with us on 365 Sports. All right, Black Sunday, Jimbo Fisher, the money was never an issue. They made this decision sometime last week at a Board of Regents. Why can't A&M find their next R.C. Slocum? Well, uh, the, the, the problem is that they're not looking for the next R.C. Slocum. They're looking for somebody who's better. Because they want to win national titles, and R.C. Slocum didn't do that. As great as he was at Texas A&M, that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to find their Nick Saban. They're trying to find their Kirby Smart. Uh, they need to maybe just find their coach. Oh, a guy who can win one. Uh, that that's what they, they need right now, because that was the goal with Jimbo Fisher. If they wanted another RC Slocum and I love RC Slocum. I think he was, he, I mean, he's the greatest head coach in Texas A&M history. Um, and bear Bryant is in that history, but as far as right. an A&M coach, RC Slocum is the best, but they need a coach. They wanted a coach that could take them to the level of their, compatriots in the sec of lsu and georgia and and florida and alabama that have all won tennessee that have all won national auburn won national titles that's what they wanted that's not what they got in jimbo fisher so if they want another rc slocum there's plenty of those guys out there that can come in but they're in the sec and so if they want to win sec titles and national titles they've they've got to do something different it's weird that Every coach seemingly makes them better at one certain thing, but isn't good enough at another thing that gets them undone. Yeah, they can't find R.C. Slocum because they're not looking for R.C. Slocum, to Paul's point. They're looking for Nick Saban. That's why. Um, And so when you're looking for Nick Saban, just average or pretty good, most of the time's not good enough because it needs to be great, and they haven't been great. And uh, their little periods of maybe flashes of being great uh, aren't long-lasting, and there's a reality check that soon follows, and... You know, you end up in a similar situation to when you first started, which is 8-4 and four territory, uh, pretty much year in and year out. And uh, that's not good enough in their eyes, as, you know, you heard um, through their press conference yesterday. It's The expectations are much higher. I think the fact that you've got Texas and Oklahoma rolling in, particularly Texas, I think that amplifies the pressure as well to feel like you've got to do something now and that you can't afford to. Let's roll Jimbo back out there again next year and then go – what, eight and four or seven and five, but this time it's a loss to Texas and a loss to OU potentially, and that is not even the same eight and four or seven and five at that point, right? Now it's a, it's the same, not quite what you want, but even made worse by the fact that you're now losing to uh, more personal rivals. So, yeah, I mean, they're not looking for R.C. Slocum. They're not necessarily looking for that, that long, pretty good stability. They're looking for great and now and nothing else is, is going to be good enough, and so that's why. Um, Pretty simply put, and, you know, we'll see. I don't know that there is another Nick Saban out there. You know, Jimbo seemed like it was about as good of a candidate to be a, that type of a guy. Now, I know there's probably a lot of people that – he's no. I'm not saying he's Nick Saban, but in terms of a big swing, big-name head coach that you could go and get, they did that with Jimbo Fisher. I don't know that that guy's really out there now unless it's some stunner, which is certainly possible, but that's going to be the fascinating part now moving forward is who do they feel is that guy that better positions them to be that program versus the big swing they just took. Yeah, by the way, GMAC on uh, Super Chat, thank you very much. Thank you, 365 Sports family, for the Texas Beef House gift card. Also, my Bearcats, Cincinnati, finally got their first Big 12 win, too. Congratulations to the Bearcats for that. So, 
Here is Sam Khan is going to join us in about 35 or 40 minutes. Here's the buyout. There's going to be a nice chunk right off the top, and then there are chunks as time goes by. It's not $76 million in one check, although they could probably do that too. It will be slowly but surely, methodically, over time. And there are different comments on this from, that's gross, that a team or a school or a program will write a check at some point, overall $76 million. That's a drop in the bucket if they end up having to pay about $6 million a year, which is going to come out of their television money. The big chunk comes out of what is the A&M 12th Man Foundation. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. I, the, the conversation uh, really needs to be about how badly A&M wrote the contract in that there are all these things that also, like, it's funny when they gave the extension – Okay, so they gave him the extension a few years ago to keep him theoretically from taking the LSU job when it was open, but LSU was not going to give him that contract, so he would not have taken it. If if Jimmy Sexton called up LSU and said, you know what his contract is, we'd like you to have the same terms but more money, LSU would have been like, well, no, we've got to have a standard buyout and all these other things. Well, A&M, he... Jimbo could have left for, for LSU with no buyout. He also has no offset in the contract. So say he winds up being the coach at, at, at Mississippi State next year because they're open now. I don't think that's going to happen. But say he took that job and they wanted Jimbo Fisher. Well, Jimbo Fisher doesn't have to give back any money that would be offset by his new contract at Mississippi State in the buyout. So A&M was going to pay this anyway, which makes the decision while – uh, difficult to make uh, still. I mean, if you're going to pay the money anyway, go and hire the guy you want to hire if Jimbo's not the one anymore. There's really no justifying uh, spending all that money the way that, mm-hmm. that it's being spent. I mean, it's like the Dark Knight scene where the Joker just sets the gobs and gobs and yeah. piles of money on fire. And, I mean, that's what it feels like. You know, that's college athletics for you, though, especially at an institution like Texas A&M where money really doesn't mean anything. And, you know, if they burn $70 million in, you know, an hour – because they need to change a head coach that they'll do that and they'll go back to the drawing board and ask the donors for more money and those donors will pony up more money to get the next guy who's supposed to do what Jimbo did and then guess what in a few years they'll probably burn 80 million dollars and buy out money oh no maybe this time Ross Bjork actually learned a lesson he was asked in his press conference about whether or not they learned a lesson based on the contract and how bad it did turn out to be and I felt like he kind of sidestepped that question um, I felt like he, he didn't really answer that um, you know clearly uh, and just sort of maneuvered it into talking about something else. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big waste of money. There's college athletics, especially big-time college football for you. Um, I don't think that that's right, uh, but that is what the, the sport is right now. It is, you know, big-money contracts with big-money buyouts and a lot of money uh, being burned when a coach doesn't work out after, you know, a couple of years. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing anytime I think that that does happen. It does feel a little bit gross, honestly, when you're talking about the, the type of money that we're talking about. But, um, you know, that is that is the way the sport is. And until enough people, I guess, uh, don't make those types of big contracts, then you're going to get more and more examples of this. So, uh, yeah, I just think, you know, like besides, I know the buyout's the big, you know, lightning rod thing here or it's the hot A&M fell on their face again. But I'm just, you know, it was a week ago it seemed like he was going to be somewhat okay or at least the messaging was that right he was going to be able to make it through and that maybe even was going to make it until next year and then just obviously uh, Ross Bjork had seen enough even though they won this weekend and it was an impressive win and you know you're you're uh 
your quarterback played pretty well uh, when you've had so many injuries back there, and you you know felt pretty good, I think, leaving the stadium about the effort, but little did you know at the time that that was Jimbo's last game, so just very strange, and not totally surprising how quickly this came together, but it was a little bit of like, oh, wait, what? They, they just did that? Okay, yeah. bam, all right, I guess we're moving on now, and to a very interesting coaching search and a much spicier carousel after this weekend. By the way, uh, Elijah Robinson is now the interim head coach for A&M. That was yesterday morning when Ross Bjork uh, visited with him and told him that. He was on Matt Rule's staff at Baylor, also on Matt Rule's staff at Temple. And now he takes over for now uh, with at least three games, two games left, including a bowl game, uh, the football program at Texas A&M. Zach Arnett out at Mississippi State. Brady Hoke announces his retirement, although a lot of writers in San Diego saying that he was told you need to move on or retire at San Diego State. And Andy Avalos at Boise State is out. So those are the other three coaching changes. The big one, of course, the Jimbo Fisher news in College Station. Yeah, they'll all be interesting uh, scenarios in in hiring. Um, I think Brian Harson back to Boise State uh, would be very interesting and something that uh, Jeremiah Dickey uh, is probably going to consider. Mississippi State is a, such a strange situation because of what Zach Arnett stepped into trying to, you know, ride out the success that they were having with Mike Leach and and where they appeared to be kind of building into that perfect Mike Leach program. They're trying to to ride that out because he was the interim. Essentially, he wound up just being kind of the glorified interim coach, and they let it go for a year, but. Uh, Zach Arnett will get a defensive coordinator job really fast. Uh, so, and he might get the one at USC. I'm going to throw that out there. He's he's probably going to be a top candidate for that one. Uh, and I think I mentioned that I may may or may not have mentioned him in that top five a week ago because he was still employed by Mississippi State and didn't know what was going to happen there. But um, you know that is how many times in the history Jack brought this up to me has a game happened where both the head coaches were fired after the game, and one of them won the game by 41 points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show you the yeah. passion of Texas A&M, doesn't yeah. it? Um, that they, again, that was what was so strange about it, is they won that game the way that they did, and then, yeah, turned right around and Jimbo's fired. So, yeah, the Arnett thing was understandable. He walked into a tough situation after Leach's passing, and, you know, that just never really got going uh, from the get-go. Uh, and so I think Mississippi State counted their losses, realized that, and thought, you know, let's not keep dragging this thing out for the sake of doing so. It's pretty obvious what's going on here. We need to stop this before it gets too far down the tracks and we do any further damage. And so that is not a surprise that they decided to cut bait that quickly. Um, And so, yeah, he'll be coveted uh, in, you know, a a different role moving forward. But it just, yeah, never got going there uh, in Starkville. So curious as to where they turn uh, now. But uh, with Brady Hoke, uh, San Diego State, you know, one of those schools that was mentioned during the realignment craze, which, you know, as we get to the end of the season, that probably starts to get a bit spicier again. I know the Pac-12's got their, you know, news that could be dropping this week with uh, the the legal battles. But um, in terms of, you know, the contenders for trying to get into the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or, you know, the ACC even, you know, San Diego State was a a crowd that you heard a lot from. Uh, You know, Joel, shout out to Joel, the big San Diego State fan. Um, But... You know, UConn was too. And you look at those two programs this year and what they're doing. It's a good thing they didn't get invited this year because you'd be like really hard-pressed yeah. to try and yeah. pump that up with the seasons that they're having. 
Um, San Diego State was just awful. I mean, they're just bad. You know, you can say what you want to about the new stadium, and that's all well and good, but they're just not a good football team in, in any way, shape, or form. It's been a really, really bad year for them. So, you know, he's slightly above 500. Uh, their their season's got the writing on the wall. It's going to end here in a couple of weeks, and they, they need a fresh, you know, start. So that one doesn't come as a surprise with how badly that they've struggled. And then Avalos, uh, a little surprising on the timing, uh, because they had just won, like all at Jimbo Fisher. But I don't know if you've been kind of reading the tea leaves there for a while. That was a big hire for Jeremiah Dickey, his first, you know, big coaching hire as the AD up there. Um, and there were some good moments along the way, but it just did feel like they were kind of losing their their footing um, as a Boise State, right? And what we, you know, typically know them as. You don't really think about them much anymore, do you? You don't really – I mean, they were also in the kind of the expansion talk a little bit, but ne- that never even really caught fire. They were just sort of out there, and it's like, oh, yeah, Boise State as well, but they never got even super involved to the extent of even San Diego State did, it felt like. Um, but, yeah, it just – it seemed as though they were kind of spinning their wheels a little bit as well. little curious about the timing, but I'm, I'm really not surprised that they decided to make a change because I think, you know, even the good moments you had with Andy Avalos, it never felt like you were going to – uh, approach the the glory years that you're so badly wanting to rekindle there at Boise State and feel like you can rekindle there. So yeah, they uh they went ahead and cut bait, and uh, I, I'm not surprised by There's that. There's so much to get to, and we're trying to do it bit by bit. There'll be some that we push back until a little bit later on. Uh, Mike Yersich out at Penn State. Uh, the the offense in a game against Michigan, and oh my God, you could say whatever you want. And there's a couple of quotes. Let's do the quotes from Harbaugh, Garrett, if you have either one of them. Um, he was very uh, – he was in some way um, humorous and then at the same time, you know, again, like who he is, uh, saying that uh, he insists he's not sick. He has a raspy voice. I'm the iron wall that viruses bash against and shatter. And then also said he uh, will do some uh, push-ups and eat – an apple. He was very de- 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 defiant, I guess, is the way to put it earlier today. Yeah, he he was, and he's going to go talk at the at the hearing that they're going to have on Friday. So that'll be interesting. He made a you know a few good men joke during that time, and he's trying to keep it loose uh, as much as he can. I'm I'm curious to see how loose I, he can keep it if they do decide to uphold the suspension. I, I'm very curious to see how that all goes down anyway. I mean, just because it is it is somewhat unprecedented. You know what I want to do, though? I, you're right. But I'm sorry. They just beat Penn State on yeah. the road despite they, everything and, yeah. and did it with style. They beat Penn State, and Penn State fired their offensive coordinator um, hours after because it was the second time yep. that he played a plus team this year, and they had nothing. They had Nothing. And I'm not saying that Ohio State's and Michigan's defenses aren't good, but at no point during that game was I ever worried about Penn State getting on a tear, if I'm a Michigan fan. You know, there are there are times where you have, you know, two good defenses going against each other and they both have good offenses. Now, I think if Michigan was uh, maybe – wanted to play a little faster and looser and take some more chances, they probably could have, and and Penn State would have had to worry about them going on an offensive tear. But at no point did Michigan ever have to worry about Penn State just having four drives in a row where they like everything was locked in, and you're like, oh, we got to respond to this and this and this, which, you know, 
That's uh, just to like use the like Texas example. You could shut Texas down for a little while, but eventually but they're something's coming around the corner. But eventually yeah. something's going to happen yeah. where you know a, a defensive back falls down, Xavier Worthy or Adonai Mitchell catches a pass, and then they've got a big play, and then all of a sudden they're confident again. Not going to happen at Penn State. Yeah, I mean, uh, not surprised that they decided to move on after this uh, this recent showing against Michigan. Uh, that was that was all bad. Um, credit to Michigan for you know going out there in the face of adversity and without their head coach on the sidelines and uh, putting on a show. You know, it was a it was an interesting game to watch, but it was pretty clear by the end who the better team was. I don't think that was really in doubt whatsoever. And so I commend the the players and you know the coaches. Uh, for you know stepping up and you know going out there and handling their business uh, but you know at the same time I do feel like it was a little bit dramatic like I mean it was a little bit cheesy at some points you know and so uh, I think it's going to continue to be a little bit cringy in some ways for those of us following along I think if you're a Michigan fan it probably doesn't feel that way this is like you know everything Harbaugh says is probably gold um, this whole Michigan versus the world thing I don't really I, I, don't, I feel that's kind of corny as well, uh, but it, it is what it is. So I think it just depends on what side of the aisle that you're sitting on. If you're a Michigan fan, it's, it is you against the world in so many ways. And so this hearing Friday is going to be uh, really interesting to see just what comes of that. He's going to be there, as you mentioned, and what kind of a decision is, is reached and, and where does this go from here? I mean, that's, that's the fascinating part now is there is a battle legally uh, on the horizon and you know, what is uh, determined there and, you know, how is he affected by that, uh, especially given the position that they're in right now. But, you know, they had a big potential stumbling block and mm-hmm. they, you know, leaped over it pretty easily. I think if you're Penn State, as far as your Yur- goes, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, you're obviously very disappointed. I think, you know, with James Franklin, you're just wondering when is he going to win the big game? You know, when the time is to is there to win the big game, uh, that just seems so elusive. And when is that going to happen for him? And when is that going to be, you know, a consistent that you can kind of bank on? So, yeah, another disappointing big game for the Nittany Lions, another big win for Michigan. But uh, the biggest battles as much off the field as they are on the field as well coming up. And I know they've got, you know, Ohio State around the corner. But uh, they're they're sitting pretty. And this off the field stuff, I guess we'll just see where it takes us. But I, I did feel like some of it got a little bit corny and over the top, you know, over the weekend, particularly on social media. But that's social media, so that's not all that surprising. Um, but it was a tremendous win. I mean, that that's the big takeaway that I had. All the other stuff is, is what it is. But that was a great win. Great win by uh, Michigan. So what you have with these four schools, and again, Boise State, San Diego State are not a part of the Power Five, even though they've had their their runs at times. You have uh, an SEC school in Mississippi State. Someone takes that job. Does that open up something else? A&M, of course, they could get anybody, or they will try to get anybody, and that opens up another job. Uh, What's going to happen at Arkansas? What's going to happen maybe at Houston, West Virginia? Neil Brown and the Mountaineers got hammered by OU. Uh, And Dylan Gabriel, my goodness, here's a note about Dylan Gabriel, and then we're going to get to the Big 12 standings and also talk about, to me, the toughest story in college football over the weekend. One was the story involving the family of the University of Houston, but also with Jonathan Brooks at Texas. There's the story about Oklahoma and what Baker Mayfield had accomplished when he was at OU in his career. And Dylan Gabriel is now on that same list, a very, very short list with what he's done throughout his career at UCF and also now at Oklahoma. The, uh, that was a huge like wake-up win for Oklahoma over a West Virginia team that's that's been tough. I mean, like they, you know, not a team defensively that you would think would give up that many points, but uh, Oklahoma, um, you know, finally. Uh, kind of broke out of their 
their doldrums the other day. Uh, and Emphatically. I think, and, and, yeah. and I think Jeff Lebby in particular needed, needed a game like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a really great win. Uh, you know, I, I think that they've just, you know, played some good teams yeah. for one. I mean, Kansas at the, on the road was a pretty good team. Um, you know, Oklahoma State, obviously, Bedlam was a pretty mm-hmm. unique scenario as well. But the offense did need to wake up, and they did in a major way, to your point, uh, putting up nearly 60. So that was great for them. I think West Virginia, uh, obviously a huge disappointment that you went to uh, Norman and you know, ended up with such a lopsided loss that it kind of does rekindle the Neil Brown discussion, I guess, a little bit. I, I didn't. I felt like that sort of had gone away, and then now I see it's back again yeah. uh, as soon as they lose and lose in the fashion that they did. But, hey, you lose by 39, I can see why that discussion would start to get a little, little heated back up. But, yeah, Dylan Gabriel's been tremendous. I think just the fact that they've dropped a couple of games, uh, three games, or no, two games, is uh, the reason why he's not more in the conversation nationally. Uh, for a lot of different accolades. Not saying that he should be invited to New York by any means, but I just think that with a couple of their bumps in the road that really derailed any chances that he had of being in a bigger picture conversation because he is having a terrific year. Um, And I I don't think that that's probably outside of Norman being spotlighted as much as it should be. So that's just uh, the environment uh, more so than anything. But yeah, if you've watched along, he's been great. Uh, they're still a very good team. They had those stumbling blocks, but that was a big, emphatic way to respond and important because you look up and now they're right back in the Big 12 mix, whereas, you know, maybe leading into the week they were on the outside looking in more. Now it's it's right back to where, hey, we're with a couple weeks to go. There's a real shot that they could end up in Arlington for that rematch against Texas. Like, that seemed like it was going to be the foregone conclusion. And then the last couple of weeks you're like, oh, wait a second, maybe it's going to be Oklahoma State. Maybe it's going to be – Kansas State, and now it's like, well, shoot, maybe we're back to Oklahoma and Texas again. So, uh, yeah, still plenty of big games out there, but, um, you know, that's a tough one for West Virginia. You thought you'd at least be competitive. Uh, You've been competitive in in all your games this year. Um, You know, the Penn State one got away from you, but that was – week number one um and so to to get blown out by that much is uh is a tough pill to swallow for the mountaineers for sure i hated this news i saw this anwar richardson's the first one that had it and then it became official the university of texas on their twitter feed putting this out there with the heart jonathan brooks 1139 yards rushing 10 touchdowns he did not make people forget Bijan robinson but you almost remembered uh you almost forgot that he was a part of it because how good Jonathan Brooks has been smooth, uh, liquid, fast, physical, torn ACL in the win against TCU, and he is out for the rest of the year. They have a five-star, of course, Baxter, who's waiting in the wings along with others, but I hated that news for Jonathan Brooks. Yeah, um, look, and even though Cedric Baxter's probably going to be plenty good, I mean, you just don't lose good players and, and rebound. I mean, it's, it's t- I mean, you can, but like it's – and just like move on, it's not uh, it's not like a factory that another one's coming down the line. Uh, there, there's there's something you lose when you lose a guy who is be as consistent, not only uh, running the ball but catching the ball, pass protection. He he was doing it. He was having a fantastic season. The thing that also really sucks for him is I don't know if he would have this year, but there was potential, and he was getting some pretty high marks as one of the higher rated running backs. Now, granted, running backs now, um, what does that mean? That means you might burst into the end of the first round if you're if you're super lucky uh, or you know if you're a, a unicorn like Bijan Robinson you get picked in the top 10 but I was seeing him ranked 
in every top five of running back rankings that you can well, respect and see. You know, so some some people have had him had him first. I have, and so do you. A vote for the All American team. I voted him on my All American team as one of the running backs. Uh, he was fantastic. I hate that one affected because I sent my vote in over the weekend. Craig Jonathan Brooks, an incredible story because the concern was. Well, you lose Roshan and also Bijan, and yet their running game, not quite the same, but he was dynamic. Yeah, no, he was uh, the missing piece. Once he got going, you didn't really have a whole lot more questions about Texas' offense. I mean, if there was a question at the beginning of the year, it was, you know, what's the run game going to look like? Can Jonathan Brooks replace Bijan's? Is it going to take some combination of players? And really, it's just been Jonathan Brooks. I mean, the guy's got over 1,100 yards and double-digit touchdowns um, is right up there in the you know, top 10 of, of running backs statistically this season and, um, you know, was having a terrific year, not just a good year, but a terrific year. I think he exceeded, you know, certainly my expectations, which, you know, weren't as on boots on the ground and up close and personal as a, you know, a diehard Texas fan would have expected from Jonathan Brooks. But just from the outside looking in, um, he, he exceeded what I thought uh, they were going to have there at the running back spot. And especially uh, these last few weeks, it, it wasn't like just – right from the get-go, I feel like it, uh, you know, kind of got glowing where they were sort of figuring themselves out early on. And then, um, you know, I guess a couple of games in, he just started on a tear of, of just 100-yard games, 200-yard game against Kansas, scoring in every single game, most of the time scoring a couple touchdowns every single game, getting involved in the passing game here and there as well, like we saw against TCU. So, yeah, he was doing a lot of great things, having a monster year. Um, and uh, this is a huge blow for them. I mean, I know they've got other talented players, and you'll point to their recruiting and the five stars and things like that, but I feel like Jonathan Brooks was uh, one of the better stories on the team the entire year, and uh, for Texas, that's a loss. I mean, that was that's something that doesn't totally derail what you've got going on, but it's a pretty big drop-off from yep. Jonathan Brooks to C.J. Baxter and Jaden Blue mm-hmm. and, and those guys. It's a pretty noticeable difference. So that, to me, is like they're cruising along pretty well right now, and that's a pretty devastating blow. No, I is. mean, and yeah. so, you know, I, I wonder how that does affect them because they should still be able to run the football, but just because of the way he was running the football and just the groove that they seemed to be in, they were clicking, man. And so that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. But, uh, you know, he was mentioned. I think it just depends on what mock draft you want to look at or prospects list you want to look at as the top running back. And who knows where his mind was, but – you know, with the running back situation being the way that it is in the NFL, on the one hand, you say as a junior, you know, why why would he go if he's not – I mean, but you don't have options. Like, if you're the first running back, you're the first running back, and you're not guaranteed anything. So who knows where his mind would have been. Now it seems like he probably would be coming back because you've got to rehab that ACL, and who knows where that places him as far as, you know, whether or not he's played his last down at Texas or whether we see him later in the year next year or – or where that goes, but wish the young man the best. I mean, he was having a great run, no pun intended, was a big part of what they were doing. And so, yeah, that's something they're going to have to overcome. I think they've got the talent to do it, um, but it's not going to be a seamless transition uh, by any means. Yeah, he's just smooth as silk. And I think the other interesting thing, too, is, um, you know, not only does that, you know, make them hit a little bit of a bump in the road potentially, and then also you've got the story about just his NFL potential and where his mind is as far as that goes, but – you know, before that injury, Texas is going to be a fascinating team to see when it comes to declarations for the draft because the number of underclassmen that they have, you're looking at a real scenario where Quinn Ewers, uh, Jonathan Brooks pre-injury, Jatavian Sanders, Xavier Worthy, Adonai Mitchell, and the list goes on and on, could all declare and go early after this year. Or they could all come back. And so that's going to be a, a group of 
uh, underclassmen that will be really interesting to watch depending on where they end up because they could have a massive exodus of NFL guys or they could have a huge haul of guys coming yeah. back. And I don't know, maybe it's 50-50, but they've got a lot of juniors uh, and you know uh, guys that, that need to make a decision here soon. I, I think of the ones that you mentioned, definitely going with me to be Jatavian Sanders because he's a big dude, he's super athletic, and he's – he might be one of those kind of like tight ends where you're like, ah, I don't know, this 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 is different than your run-of-the-mill tight end. I think when it comes to the wide receivers too, Mitchell and Worthy are probably in the top tier, but there's so many good wide receivers now year in and year out. Yeah. So, you know, you've got Harrison, Coleman. Neighbors. Neighbors, Adunze, and then probably the group that is them right after that, which could still be in the first round, right? Yeah. So... Oh, dude, that mock draft we were looking at the other day had like six, seven wide receivers in the first round of the draft, right? More than I've seen in a long time. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I would just take Sweat, the defensive tackle, uh, and he would be my first pick. I don't don't care how well. Well, watching them this this past weekend, I mean, they – are well suited to overcome things, uh, and so they can't overcome Jonathan Brooks's injury because they're still going to be able to stop the run. You know, they're still going to be able to hit the explosive play. It's just that automatic there that they had gotten in the running game over the last se- most of the season. Really, um, that's no longer there, and and really just individually, it sucks for him. He was he was having a great run. So best wishes to Jonathan Brooks. All right, there's a stat. There's a couple of uh, tweets. First of all, from Cole Kublick who's been on our show, covers the SEC quite a bit. Jaden Daniels, and I watched a lot of this, first player in FBS history with 350 yards passing, 200 yards rushing in a game. I thought there would be somebody out there that may have had one of those games. Not, I mean, I'm not, not like more than one. Second player in SEC history, 200 and 200 passing and rushing in a game. All-time single game record for total offense at 606 yards. A couple of the long runs he made looked like a like he did his cardio never changed. As even Brian Kelly said, it's almost like all of a sudden you have like a weight jacket or something like that on your your legs go dead. He never looked like that was the case. Now speaking of that, Dane Brugler, I don't have the tweet for uh, Garrett here. Plays of 20 yards or more in college football this year. Jaden Daniels 76. Then you keep going down all the way down 60, 59, 58, 57, Michael Penix, 55, Caleb Williams. 20, 19 more plays of 20 yards or more than Michael Penix, who's had a great year at Washington. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. And I don't know what like I don't know what Jaden Daniels NFL prospects are or were, but every time I watch him, I'm thinking, look, if he's not a first round pick, that's fine. But if you wanted to take a like a, a flyer, a, not, a mid round, like a mid, like a second round pick on Jaden Daniels, I would buy it. Going, look what the guy does, and it's not like he's doing it, you know. And, and no offense to the other leagues, but. He's not doing this in the Mountain West. He's doing it in the SEC where the defensive linemen and linebackers in particular are bigger and faster than they are in any part of the of the country. So he is getting through the front seven as a quarterback running the ball and avoiding the rush and making passes against the DBs that are up there with everybody else in the league. And they've not lost a game this year because of Jaden Daniels, other than him getting knocked out against Alabama didn't help, but they've lost games because of that defense. The last two games, Craig, he's thrown for 591 yards and rushed for 397. Nearly 1,000 yards total offense. In fact, probably more than that in two games. He's just phenomenal. 
Yeah, he's been sensational, and uh, he's my Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, if it was up to me, I think it's you know typically an award that can get lost in the who's the best quarterback, or it can be who's the best player on the best team. Well, I read the Heisman definition over the weekend. It's the most outstanding player in college football, and I don't know how he's not the most outstanding player in college football. I agree. Um, so to me, that's the Heisman front runner right now. Bo Nix, you can make a case. You know, this guy, that guy, you can make a case. Um, but I don't think it's got to be best player, best team, or number one overall draft prospect or whatever, or, you know, necessarily quarterback. But I think in this case, um, he is the most dynamic player. He just so happens to play quarterback. And he's on a pretty good team. Let's not act like LSU is just some scrub team either. Yeah. You know, like they're still pretty good. They're just not in the playoff good. But um, they're still, you know, a good team large in large part because of him. And uh, unlike, you know, a Bo Nix that has at least a compliment, uh, you know, on the team, there is, the, the defense is not helping Jaden Daniels out in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he's, he's having to do so much to, to keep them in a lot of these contests and win these contests. So, yeah, just ultra impressed by the run that he's on. The game this past weekend in particular uh, was, was really silly just in terms of the, the balance of it all. And uh, his rushing yardage, uh, what had over 200 yards rushing, is just ridiculous from a quarterback who's also tossing around the way that he is. So what was it in total? It was like 500, 600 plus total yards? It was over 600. Over 600, I think yeah, it was. 605 yeah. total yards. Are you kidding me? And 200 plus and it of that wasn't was like right? 550 passing two, either. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. 200 yeah. plus of that was rushing. So, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Um, and I don't know if everybody's come across that stat line, but I had a double take when I saw that. And I was watching the game as it was going on, and I still had to go, wait a second, 200 plus rushing yards and 600 total yards by him alone. So, yeah, that's, that's my Heisman front runner. He's been fantastic. Hold on, Paul, because we all voted. I asked everybody, not everybody said it or voted, but here's where we are. Five different people voted. For the what we would do as a staff, Emery sent his in, Garrett, Craig, Paul, me. Jaden Daniels got everybody's first place vote but one, Marvin Harrison. Paul, you had him one. Michael Penix and Bo Nix dead even, which is probably about true. Then Marvin Harrison and then Jordan Travis, who I think probably deserves a little bit more than that. But Jaden Daniels, at least among the five of us, I have a vote. I would not say what it is going to be, but that's where we are at this time as a group. Yeah, and, and, um, and yeah, Jaden Daniels would have been my, my second-place guy. I just think Marvin Harrison's, the, like, the biggest difference. I mean, he's the best player to me, but it's like splitting hairs. The other thing I'll tell you is the Gators went into the third quarter of that game feeling great about themselves. Like, holy cow, we're about to get bowl eligible and, and maybe beat LSU, and this is going well. And that turned because of one man, because of Jaden Daniels, yeah. where he went – from the Gators feeling really good about themselves to going, now we've got to beat either Mizzou or FSU to even get in a bowl game? Crap. Yeah, I mean, I went Jaden Daniels number one. I don't have a Heisman vote. You you do, as you mentioned, so you can't really reveal yours. But uh, I, I am, yeah, hands down, Jaden Daniels number one, in my opinion. I think the Knicks-Penix conversation, you can, just, you can go in circles with that. As far as two, three, four, Harrison, same thing. As far as wherever you want to put those guys, everybody's going to probably have – a different opinion on that, but I you asked for five um, in the email. I only sent four because I feel like after those four guys, Daniels, Knicks, Penix, Harrison Jr., it, you could throw like any number of names out there, right? Like there's a gob of you could throw JJ McCarthy in there, you could throw Blake Corum in there, you could throw Jordan Travis in there, you could throw any number of guys, and I think that there's a bunch of guys you can make a case for number five, but I think there's a pretty clear cut four. 
And so I just had the four on yeah, my yeah, list. Yeah, you told me. And so I, 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 don't, I think I just gave that vote to Jordan Travis because he was No, yeah, no, maybe, I, maybe I get that. I'm else. just saying yeah. for me personally, I yeah. couldn't differentiate who, like, the most fifth-deserving guy was because you could have circles and circles of conversations with the Michigan guys or with – uh, you know, uh, with Jordan Travis or, or with a number of others. So, yeah, um, that's going to be uh, something that gets cleared up here in the uh, in the coming days, that the Heisman race uh, more so. But I've seen a lot of what Nick's is the favorite now, according to Vegas. And they I had mean, 400 I, yards yeah, in their I, win. Yeah. I get it. He, he had a big performance, but I, I don't know. I go with Jaden Daniels. Uh, this, let me see here. Chris uh, Christopher was a little upset. But he goes, listen, Penix is on a team that's unbeaten. Michael sure. Penix is in the conversation. That's why I did that well, poll. So is but Harrison it, and Travis. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's not – is it the best player in America, which also then is unfortunate because it could be a linebacker or a defensive end, or is it the best player on the best team, which has also been the case? I, as of now, don't have to vote, but Jaden Daniels, what he's done the last couple of weeks, even in the loss to Alabama, has, has, uh, he's right back in it. It was kind of like he was there – with Penix and Knicks and then uh, Marvin Harrison. But it, uh, to me, it's going to be, uh, to me, so intriguing to see how people finish. And then, of course, the championship weekend, and then the votes will be in right after that. Now, we're going to have Sam Kahn. He's been tra- he is tra- uh, uh, tracking down so many different people on the A&M story. Here is the Big 12, the standings, after another weekend of crazy. Oklahoma State was throttled by UCF, and it was... Hard to so it was hard to watch unless now I know UCF Knights fans you know go and have fun with it but they are still right there with the win against Oklahoma Kansas State there Iowa State has Texas this week they could absolutely jump in the middle of it that game is in Ames um, there is now a link and I'm going to put the link up Garrett don't have to put it up. I'll put a link up in the chat room that kind of gives you what are like sixteen thousand scenarios in the Big Twelve because of tiebreakers. And if you end up in a multiple-team tiebreaker, there is a chance that no matter what, if you get down to three, head-to-head disappears. So I'll put that up, and you guys can play with it however you want. Yeah, I mean, we're going to need to spend some actual time going we're through those results. Yeah, yeah, because there's a lot of things to unpack from the Big 12 weekend. But Oklahoma left the door. Oklahoma State left the door open. I mean, they had a chance to pretty much shut that thing and get into these final couple of games, and they laid one of the biggest eggs you will ever see laid. I mean, I just want to know. Had one laid on them. Yeah, I just want to know, what did Vegas freaking know? Seriously. <laughs> what, what did Vegas know? Because that line never made any sense whatsoever, how low that line was heading into Orlando. Now, you could say, oh, it's Orlando. I mean, maybe you looked at the weather report and you saw it was going to be torrential downpours and you thought, okay, well, that'll derail Ollie Gordon from being able to run the football or it'll make life harder on Alan Bowman or the Cowboys defense or whatever. But what did Vegas know truly? Because those fall on that line, there's a lot of eyebrows being raised of like, why is that thing so low? There's nothing about that that makes any sense whatsoever. You've got arguably the worst run defense in all of college football, certainly in the Big 12 and probably in the Power 5. I haven't gone and looked at the the revamped rankings after this week but UCF's like down at the bottom against the hottest running back in all of college football who's trying to run himself into a Heisman race he's on such a tear and like what happened Uh, so like what would make you think that 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 was going to go that the way that it did and so the line just it didn't make any sense and then sure enough you get into this game it's pouring down rain Ollie Gordon does nothing yeah um 
that was just bizarre. It was bizarre how how much of a blowout that was. I mean, kudos to UCF. They really needed that win. That was a tremendous win for that football program and Gus Malzahn. Um, and a great day for them. A banner win for them in this inaugural Big 12 season. But it just didn't make any sense. And so I, I'm just – I was uh, just – taken aback by whatever Vegas knew that they, they seemed to peg that, that that game was going to be a little bit weird. They didn't say US, UCF's going to win, but they they had a line close enough to make you wonder, why would they possibly think this game will be close? And then sure enough, that happens, and it's just bizarre. And and Ollie Gordon, Heisman Trophy in New York City, might have been derailed, oh, 12 gone. carries yeah. for 25 yards. and So those are the standings. We're going to get more into – uh, the teams that won that kept their hopes alive. Cincinnati got their first one. Congratulations, UCF. With a, we're going to either have. There's a good chance we either get Coach Malzahn or a player on at the end of the week, maybe Thursday. I sent Justin Wilson, their media relations uh, person for football, a note even as the game was winding down. I said, "My God, what an absolute buzzsaw." We will get to the schedule and all that at four o'clock. A comment from Dave Aranda today on the last two games of their season after getting boat raced by Kansas State in a game that was not close. There was a lot more to get to. One note that we break, Ray Anderson, the director of athletics at Arizona State, is no longer their AD. He won't have to worry about making a trip to West Virginia. He is out at Arizona State as they are, of course, had a nice win two weeks ago, playing better, but as an AD, he is gone, no longer a part of the Sun Devils program. Did you ever see the Wizard of Oz when the, the house falls on the witch? Like, that's how Arizona fa- State fans have reacted to this. They've been yeah, mad at him for years. you told me it was years. almost like just a yeah. gushing of emotion. It was, yeah, I mean, it, like, it was like your presidential candidate won, or like, you know, it was, it was unbelievable because there are all these things that they've been mad about him for years, and... The conference realignment thing was just the latest mess up, you know. No, no, and and the and Craig, one final quick note, and then we got a break. Come back with Sam Con. I mean, I think it's a relief if you're an Arizona State fan. I know it's more complex than just on the surface of hey, he made a crack about being in the Big Twelve, or he said what he said when they were part of the the pack, you know, fighting to keep itself together. And, and, you know, I understand why there's some bad blood there. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, in general, if you're Arizona State, um, you're, you're happy with the decision, and it's something that you were wishing for over these last uh, few months. So uh, that seems like it's a step in the right direction for them. Uh, certainly for him, it probably feels that way. So he doesn't have to go to Morgantown, as you mentioned, or, or lower himself to dealing with the Big 12 folks, I guess. But, yeah, he won't have to worry about that. We won't have to worry about him, you know, getting in the way of any Big 12 business either moving forward. Um, and so I think everybody wins in the long run but uh, certainly Arizona State fans based on the reaction more so than anybody is, is celebrating that news today and today at his press conference media session Jeff Trailer answering numerous questions about the A&M job being open among others down the road that could be this is 365 Sports Sam Kahn is next some say a dog is man's best friend but I tell you what boys you better Pigs and turkeys too. I love to cover them in sauce down at Rudy's Barbecue. Bring all your friends to Rudy's for some tasty oak smoke barbecue. Next in line. 
During Jeep Adventure Days, save big on 2023 Jeep models like the Grand Cherokee Limited with values up to $5,500 or 10% off MSRP on new Jeep Gladiators on all trim levels or 10% off MSRP on a new Jeep Compass at Allen Samuels in Waco. Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now now downtown on Franklin Avenue. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. Let Camille Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one. Commercial, farm and ranch, or residential, Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction. With a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you, Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming, warm. Welcome home. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. Sam Kahn uh, has been great to join us as much as he has. We appreciate him. He was on with us last week on Thursday. And he, of course, uh, does a lot of coverage for Texas A&M and college football for TheAthletic.com. Sam, thank you very much. So, uh, is this going to be the big name that all the donors can sit around and drink a scotch with and excite? Are they going to get somebody that actually can win and do it right at A&M? <laughs> that's, that's the $77 million question, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I think they're going to cast a wide net. Um, and, and I, I got the sense, you know, listening to Ross Bjork, the athletic director, talk on Sunday, it sounds like part of the reason why they made the decision when they did was, of course, 
the transfer portal and early signing day timing, but also the market really hadn't gotten kickstarted. We hadn't had any coaches change for performance reasons at this point, Michigan State and Northwestern being the only ones open before yesterday. And so a gym, uh, Texas A&M has a chance to kind of survey the landscape and, and, and kind of cast a wide net here. And so I think they're going to do that, uh, which is smart. I, I don't. This is not going to be like the last search where – they zeroed on Jumbo from the start, and that's going to be it. I think you're, you're going to see a lot of different names get involved with this thing, um, and it's a lot, a lot of them we're familiar with. Obviously, you you know, I'm sure we all heard Mike Elko, who was a former defense coordinator at A&M, who's now the head coach at Duke, is probably somebody to keep an eye on in this one. Jeff Trailer at UTSA, of course, is probably a name to keep an eye on in this one. And then uh, beyond that, you, it'll be interesting to see, can they are they going to kick the tires on Dan Lanning at Oregon, and, and how does the playoff race, impact the availability of somebody like that or somebody like a Mike Norvell or, uh, you know, with this Lance Leipold get involved in this. It's There's a lot of different ways this can go. And I do truly think that this is a start from scratch search and about as wide open as I can remember, at least in the time that I've uh, been covering A&M. Is one of the key factors being able to keep this roster intact and then look they've got i'm sure they've got nil people in their collective making sure that nobody makes a transfer portal decision until the the head coach is made by assuring them of their finances but that would seem to me to be a huge deal to to excite the roster absolutely and because that that is the hardest part of the championship equation is acquiring talent and a&m has done that and say what you want about Jimbo Fisher. One thing he could do is recruit. And he did that really well. And you watch that roster and that team and what they did Saturday night against Mississippi State. They didn't do it frequently enough, which is why Jimbo is not the coach anymore. But, buddy, there are dudes everywhere on that roster. Like, they are stacked with talent. And so the more of those guys they can keep, the more attractive that job is for whoever wants it because then it, it allows you to win quicker. Because I think I don't think this is a big rebuild. This is not a team that is in the gutter. This is just a team that I think needs a little bit more organization, a little bit more efficiency, and somebody to put guys in the right spot and let them be athletes, let them be great players, which is what a lot of these guys are. So keeping the roster intact is paramount. Now, are you going to rush the search you know, in a week or, or you know, eight, nine, ten days just for that reason? Probably not. And like, again, if, if you're shooting for the moon and some of these guys who are in the playoff hunt, you're going to have to wait until some of them are out of it probably. But it's a tricky equation because the transfer portal opens in early December. Of course, right now, since they made the head coaching change, there's a 30 day window for all those players to jump in in the next 30 days. So they technically can, or one of them already jumped in on Sunday. So that is already in motion. So I think speed is of the essence, but not in sacrificing the right candidate. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how those dynamics play and, and how that factors into all this. But I do think uh, the, the roster talent and keeping as much of it as possible is really, really important in this equation for Texas A&M. Sam, how do you think people look back on the Jimbo Fisher tenure at Texas A&M? I think it's just a lot of disappointment and unfulfilled expectations. I mean, when we think back to that meeting in 2018 when John Sharp, the chancellor, gave Jimbo Fisher the undated plaque with a national championship on it. And, of course, it's never going to end up getting filled, at least not by Jimbo Fisher. So uh, this was a program that, when it hired 
a national championship winning coach in order to bring them into that conversation. They really only flirted with it one time, and that was in 2020. And they really weren't in the championship conversation because they lost that early week two game to Alabama by, by a couple touchdowns. But they did flirt with getting into the playoffs that year. And so you felt like it was on the cusp of it. And then from then on, what we've seen is a regression, even though they were continuously able to stack talent and get top 100 recruits year after year after year, the results did not follow. You're looking at a program that has, a ever since that 2020 season and Jimbo signed that extension that following off season, they have a losing record against SEC teams. They have a losing record against Power 5 teams. They've lost seven straight one-score games. They've lost nine straight road games. They haven't won a road game, a true road game, in two years. October 2021 was the last time they won a road game. So I think Jimbo's tenure is going to be remembered as one where you could get all the talent and you just couldn't maximize it and couldn't do anything with it. And, and it's, it's a massive disappointment because, like I said at the top, A&M did the hardest thing that you can that you can do when trying to achieve greatness is acquire all the talent. That's the hardest thing to do, and they did that, but they couldn't get the results to follow, and that's ultimately why Jimbo Fisher is not the coach anymore. Sam, is it true that no matter if he does get another job, he gets to keep everything, nothing is taken away? There's no like, okay, you get $50 million or $5 million a year, and do you feel like he will coach next year? That is correct. He There is no mitigation duty in his contract. So they, whatever job he takes, A&M has to pay the full buyout regardless. And so there's no offsetting salary. So not not the best contract from a Texas A&M standpoint to put themselves in that position. But they did, and, and they're going to have to pay for it. So uh, to, at least the one thing is to their benefit is they don't have to pay it all right now. They have eight years to pay it off. Uh, so they're, they're going to give him a lump sum within 60 days of $19 million. And then 60 days after that, they'll start annual payments of about seven plus mil for the next eight years. So uh, do I think he's going to coach next year? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I had said this earlier to somebody. I do know he loves ball. And I can't imagine this being the end for him. I, I, I think we'll see him resurface somewhere at some point, whether that's this next season I don't know. I think it depends on where his emotions are at. Uh, I, I would imagine this probably shakes him because he has not – he's had a lot of success as a head coach. This is not a position that he's accustomed to being in. And I can imagine it's probably shaking him a little bit, and it's probably going to take some time to process this and figure out what he's going to do next. Um, do I see him jumping right back into it? I guess if I had a gut feeling, I would say yeah, because he, he, he loves ball. He loves to do this. He loves going going to work every day and and practicing and you know coaching up a team and all that stuff. So if he does, I don't. I mean, I don't know where that could end up being. I mean, I'm certainly. I would imagine there are some programs that would be interested in having him, but 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 I, I don't know how he's processing this personally at this time. So that that dynamic, I think, is is one to keep in mind to figure out whether or not he's going to be coaching this year. Sam, does it surprise you a little bit that this is a guy who came? He's got. Two of the the greatest intersecting coaching trees in the history of coaching trees in Bobby Bowden and Nick Saban that he is on. And both of those guys, what they excelled at was letting the coordinators coordinate and being the CEO to end all CEOs. 
Why couldn't he do that? Why didn't he learn that from them, especially when the arrow pointed directly to that this season as that's what you need to do? I think it's just pride. I think it's – and he loves to do it. I asked him, I think it was two years ago when he was the Texas High School Coach Association. This was before they had made a change in the coordinator and, and that he, before he turned over play call. And then I asked him if he ever – envisioned not being the play caller and, and not doing it. And he said, yeah, at some point, maybe it could happen. He goes, but not right now. And he said, I still love the ball. I still love doing it. He still love being involved in it every day. And I think so that passion for it is one thing. And I think the pride of he, he won a national championship as the offensive game planner and primary play caller in 2013 with, with Florida State and, and Jameis Winston. So I can understand why, even though you've seen other people do it a different way and succeed, he succeeded at the highest level. and He was at the mountaintop in college football doing it that way. So I can see why he would say, I want it doing this way. I'm going to keep doing it this way. And the only reason and the only, the only time they ended up making a change was when it became crystal clear that things were not working under him. And, and there were so many other aspects of the program that were starting to suffer because he had spent so much time on the game planning and the play calling. And something had to change, and they did. And, and I hired Robert Petrino, and obviously it, I think it yielded some improvement. There are There is some improvement in that offense, but clearly not enough. And uh, I, But I, I think it comes back to that he loved to do it, and I think there's a little bit of pride, and I think just like a lot of coaches, not just him, a lot of – a lot of coaches, ego plays a lot into this, and and I'm sure with Jimbo that played into it as well. It, it, there's a, it, I'm sure he had a point to prove. It's like, well, you know, I can still do this, and I won a championship doing this, and I'm gonna keep doing it, and we're gonna win this way. But uh, the game has changed a lot in ten years, and I just he, I don't think he probably changed quick enough with it. Sam, we got to just. I mean, I don't even know if knows the right word, but Elijah Robinson was here for just a cup of coffee with Matt Rule for one season before A&M came calling. He's been there ever since uh, the one year in Waco back in 2017. I've uh, been following along, keeping tabs, and obviously an important part of, of Jimbo Fisher's staff. And then obviously now named the interim coach, but just how uh, much of a trajectory are we talking with Elijah Robinson as a coach in college football? It seems obviously he's important on the recruiting side of things, and the players love him uh, enough to be named the interim, but uh, how much of a rising star is he in this business, you think? Oh, big time. Uh, he is well-respected. I actually talked to somebody yesterday who said uh, in this interim period right now with a little bit of chaos that making him the interim coach is the best thing that A&M could have done in this period, especially when it comes to trying to keep uh, the roster together because the players and everybody in that locker room has so much respect for him. Uh, he is a rising star. He's, you know, obviously he's gotten a lot of promotions and raises and, and, and title uh, improvements from, you know, from Fisher because of his work and in order to keep him there because there's, you know, other opportunities that he could have taken. Uh, and you, I mean, it's not just him. I mean, Matt Rule, I know he's worked with him, had, had a lot of good things to say about him earlier today. Um, he's a great recruiter as well. He's a great defensive line coach. You see, I mean, you watch how those guys have played this year. My goodness. I mean, that, we were watch, watching them uh, get after it on Saturday against Mississippi State. And there, if there's something that has not been wrong with this team this year uh, that has functioned at a peak optimal level, it's that defensive line. It's it's one of the best in college football, and, and Elijah Robinson deserves a lot of credit for that. I think he's he's a smart guy. I think he, he's got a really good pulse 
on his players and building relationships with them. He builds great relationships with them and with the families in recruiting. Um, yeah, I think at some point he's going to be a head coach down the road, and this is going to be a really great experience for him these next six weeks, uh, leading A&M into the end of the season, into the bowl game. Uh, and I think it's going to make him all the more attractive, whether he, you know, whether it's, a, I don't know if it would be a head coaching job after this season somewhere, or if he wants to be a defensive coordinator uh, before he takes a head coaching job, but he's going to have a lot of options. And uh, A&M is lucky to have him on that. Side. Sam, last thing for me, uh, will this hire, will this have to wait through the process of the season and conference championships or how do you say this? Uh, and even the heck, the, the playoff goes into late January how does this play out in your opinion? Yeah, I don't think I can imagine them waiting that long uh, to the end of the playoff. I think it, 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 this is something that I would imagine would be done at the latest by early December. Uh, you know, if, if, they, if, if it's one of the guys who's in the playoff chase, I'm going to have to probably wait a little bit of that out. But, uh, but I think, and obviously it depends on the candidate, obviously, and, and what the fate of their season is. But I can't imagine this extending that long. They're the reason they got the start they did and did the time that they did was so they could get out in front of this because what you don't want is you don't want to linger in too long because the, the portal is open right now for the players. And then when it opens up for everybody on December 4th, I think it is, uh, you know, the longer you wait, the the more risk you are at, at the roster falling apart. So I think, uh, I think they're going to try to make this efficient and thorough, but, but relatively quick. So I don't think we're going to be dragging on and talking about and not hiring a coach in late December, early January. Yeah, Sam, you said earlier they're going to cast a wide net, but then they also have to be pretty quick. You don't want to wind up – the. I always think about the post-D Spurrier situation at Florida where when Spurrier left, they like zeroed in on these like candidates they were never going to get, and then they wound up with Ron Zook, which then eventually they wound up with Urban Meyer, which worked out for them. But you don't want to be like, hey, we want Dan Campbell or Dan Lanning or Mike Norvell and have all three of those guys tell you no, and then you're like, oh, well, who's, the, who's their Ron Zook? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I, that's why I said that's why I think it's going to be because I don't think it's just going to be all for the moon candidates. I think you're going to have some guys who who are not necessarily as highly regarded as that that are going to be. Hey, uh, you know, it, it's got to be, and it's, again, it's got to be a fit for A and M. And I and and there are certain qualities, and Bjork said it on Sunday. There's certain qualities they're looking for, and I think that the program was lacking from the way it operated consistently on a day-to-day basis. And, and I think a lot of the guys are going to be looking at are going to fit that pretty well. And, and like I said, whatever, wherever they land, I don't think this thing is going to take long to get back going. If, if the talent, if they can hold on to a decent amount of talent, I think this thing's going to be able to get turned around pretty quickly. Thank you, Sam. I know you got a lot on your plate. Appreciate your time, Sam Kahn, theathletic.com, all in the middle of it, the business of uh, Texas A&M moving on from Jimbo Fisher. From C.J. Vogel, Sarkeesian today was asked, what would he do with the $75 million buyout? I don't have that in my contract. Um, It's like, isn't it maybe three or four times the largest buyout in college football history? Has there ever been one even close to what that is? I, I, I don't know which one it might be. I saw that mentioned yesterday the, during it, the day. It's in uh, his article. The next biggest is Malzahn. It's 21. Yeah, when he was at Auburn? Yeah. All right. All right, uh, we will also dig into the Big 12, uh, the standings we put up, but also the games, the wins this past weekend, the losses, also the games this weekend. That game between Iowa State and Texas sure is salty in Ames on a Saturday night. 
among with other teams that have come back and now in the middle of it and others who are trying to trying to just figure it out. This is 365 Sports. Ideal MRI, Dr. Rob Maxey, the Central Texas Marketplace, state-of-the-art technology MRI machine, $497 or less every single time that you're in the machine, maybe, and hopefully just once, maybe none. But if you are, it's $497, not more. It could be less. They'll help you with filing the insurance and, of course, what you need when it comes to paperwork. If your doctor, orthopedic surgeon, family doctor, whoever it is, is wanting to get an MRI, and if they don't mention ideal MRI, you should. You might live two, three hours away, but for $497 or less, it's worth the drive. We've heard stories of those who have come up from Austin or San Antonio, Houston, to get the MRI. The machine is fantastic. I've been in it. The cost is legitimate. It's real. It's $497 or less. It will find out what is bothering you, a ligament, a muscle, or something else. Ideal MRI in the Central Texas Marketplace, just off of I-35 in Waco. Right call can make all the difference on and off the field. I'm Mark Stewart with Bird Colgen Ford. When it's time for a new car, truck, or SUV, Bird Colgen Ford is the right call. Come check out our award-winning lineup of best-selling models in their class, like the Mustang, Explore, Expedition, F-150, and Super Duty. Make the right call for your next vehicle at Bird Colgen Ford. Bird Colgen Ford proudly supports Baylor Athletics. Sikkim Bears. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. Humidor, you're home with a 48-foot walk-in humidor with the elite cigar brands from around the world, including the number one cigar of the year aging room, Quattro Nicaragua. Plus, they have the great brands like Macanudo and Artur Fuente, Rocky Patel, Aston, and so much more. CBD, great for sore muscles, aches and pains, sleep, Vita Dreams and anxiety, mild depression, general health and wellness. Their staff, very knowledgeable on the subject. If anyone is curious about CBD, ask Carolyn Ashley, Don Humidor in the Townwood Shopping Center off Valley Mills in Waco. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco, is your holiday item superstore. Half spiral hams, 8 to 10 pounds for $4.45 a pound. Pit hams, 12 pounds for $4.45 a pound. Bone-in hams, 18 to 22 pounds for $3.40 per pound. Whole raw turkeys from 12 to 16 pounds for $2.50 a pound. Whole smoked turkeys, that's smoked turkeys at 9 to 12 pounds for $3.75 a pound. And mini pit hams, 6 to 8 pounds for $5.99 a 
pound. And don't forget, they have full service butcher shop where you can find what you want, pork, poultry, seafood, and beef. And I bring up the beef because big beef tenderloin or a prime rib. Brian Bauer and the Bauer family. Full service bakery with fresh baked kolaches every morning and bread. And cold beer and wine. Tailgate needs from pellet fuel to charcoal. Waco Custom Marketplace and the holiday items 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Enjoying the show? Hit the like button and subscribe. So, Garrett, if you don't mind, again, the Big 12 standings and where we are. That link that I put up in the chat room is phenomenal. You can change one game that is the, of a team that's favored this weekend, and it could throw everything into a mess. There you go, Texas, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, K-State, Iowa State. Yeah, I, I'm, you know... I, I would love to see the ultimate chaos after this week if everybody is at six and two in the conference. Kansas plays Kansas State. Of well, course, I guess Iowa happen, State yeah. hosts Texas. Um, that Oklahoma game, they bounce back with a vengeance, and, and now in the middle of it. Now, if you don't use that link, and I'm asking you to do it, it's interesting. For example, if you were to just take Iowa State beating Texas Saturday night, just throw it out there. It like throws everything into a haywire. So there is a chance that you could have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Kansas State in a tie for second. And I think if that's the case, Kansas State's going to end up playing in the Big 12 championship game. I'm not trying to talk against it, but use that link if you want when you get confused on that. Now, here are the games this week in the Big 12. Oklahoma, early on against a flailing BYU. There's a lot of teams in the Big 12 who could fit that description. Cincinnati, West Virginia. Baylor, for the fifth consecutive week, is on ESPN+. Plus. That's where they are. And TCU, of course, after playing well, coming back with a nice second half, but falling short against Texas. Oklahoma State, Houston, UCF, Texas Tech. That's going to be interesting after what we saw this past weekend. Kansas State in Lawrence. And then Texas on the road against Ames, uh, against Iowa State and Ames on a night game at 7 o'clock. Yeah, it, it's an interesting schedule this week. Um, that Texas and Iowa State game, to me, the most interesting one. This is the, you know, one of the last shots of the originals or the left behind ones to get Texas. And if they did that, if I use the link that you sent, if Iowa State wins and everybody else that's got their same record wins, uh, Kansas State and Oklahoma would be in the title game. Yep, Texas would drop the fourth yeah. in the tiebreaker. Fourth if they lose that game Saturday night, if the others above uh, Iowa State also win. Now, uh, the games we saw, we spent time a little bit on them, but let's go back and discuss the games that we saw. Let's start with Texas and TCU. Uh, Jonathan Brooks out. Ewers had a big pass to uh, Mitchell at a couple of touchdowns. He's been fantastic. Worthy was great. Uh, they just had too much firepower. But you can almost sense, even from Steve Sarkeesian, that Texas is not putting teams away. They're winning, though. They're 9-1, but they're not putting teams away. Yeah, this didn't have as much sizzle to it as, you know, more recent meetings when TCU's been 
in the top 25 and been a lot hotter. Uh, but then again, Texas hasn't always been as hot as they are. So there was still, you know, a lot of intrigue uh, here. And just the fact that TCU has gotten their number or had their number on multiple occasions over the last few years. Uh, not that it's been one-sided by any means, but TCU, as much as anybody, has been able to kind of jump up and be that uh, that thorn in Texas's side. And so uh, they nearly were once again, and this time it was about as improbable as, as any of the meetings because of the fact that TCU is just not a very good team, really. I mean, 4-5 and five rolling in, now 4-6. and six. Uh, they're favored by – I mean, you want to know how bad Baylor is? Oh, we'll get to that. TCU is favored 14. by two touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, God almighty. But uh, I was I was very um, – uh, impressed by TCU's resiliency uh, to make this a game. You know, got out early and, um, you know, showed pretty clearly in that first quarter that, hey, this could be a little bit of a tussle. And then Texas, it looked like they were just going to run away with it in the second quarter uh, when they went on their run. Um, but, yeah, I mean, TCU uh, hung around and then had the huge fourth quarter, obviously. Amani Bailey with a big game and a couple of big touchdown catches uh, there in the final few minutes to uh, make this one a little bit too close for comfort for the Longhorns and make them sweat a little bit. So, um, not the upset that a lot of people were rooting for, but a closer game than I actually expected. I thought uh, Texas would kind of handle them, and at halftime it seemed like that was probably going to be the case up by 20. But, uh, yeah, I mean, good fight by the Frogs, and uh, just not enough, though, in the end. And Texas, you know, it's not their dream season because they lost to Oklahoma, but all their dreams are still very much alive, you know, and they and they in some ways control their own destiny, certainly as far as the Big 12 goes, not as much necessarily with the college football playoff, but they are right there, like the first in line or second in line at that door if that door opens up for those four spots. So uh, that was a win that they needed to keep those hopes alive. They're sitting pretty, but with the John and Brooks injury and the fact that TCU made that a game the way they did, I do think there's a little bit of a concern about putting people away. I think that's a valid concern to have, but – you just got to win them at the end of the day, and that's what Texas was able to do. And their defense is so freaking good, man, and especially up front. It's just it's silly how talented they are up front. That's just a mismatch that not a lot of teams in the country are going to be able to contend with. And when you get to the playoff, that's when you'll see teams that are, are able to have units more like that. I love what I saw what Texas did, though, when the game got a little bit dicey and TCU was with three. It was third down, whatever, and they threw a fade to, uh, to Mitchell, who's on his back diving, hits, the, catches it, doesn't let the ground deflect. That's just a big boy play. That's what you do. I mean, that's what you do. You don't, like, try to run a five-yard play when you need seven. Be aggressive with it. And they, they felt like they if they didn't make the, the, the catch, then you punt it away, and then you play defense. You, you know, if, if Texas were to get in the playoff, they are they're a, because of that defense. They're a bad matchup for Georgia and Michigan. Defensive front, defensive yeah. front, yeah. Uh, because of that defensive front, they're a bad matchup for Georgia and Michigan, particularly Michigan, because Michigan doesn't have guys that can beat you on the outside. Now, um, you know, if they were to say wind up in the playoff playing Washington, that's probably the worst thing that could happen because Washington's well, like they played in the well, ball game. Yes, yeah, we we don't. We don't need to throw – we don't want to run the ball that much anyway. We're just going to step back and throw it and, and make your secondary uh, try and, and contain what we've got going on. That That's interesting. Now, and it could be just they – they could wind up playing Oregon in a bowl game, and that game would be fantastic. And then that's, that's a pretty even matchup to me either way around. Um, but, yeah, because of their defensive front, they're going to be able to withstand a lot of problems yeah. that, that, that could come around where – you know, you there's not going to be a team that can get a lead on them in the fourth quarter and reasonably expect to run out the clock. 
Yeah, I mean, they're just they're, – they're really stout against the run. TCU only had 88 rushing yards. I mean, I know Bonnie Bailey had 98, but then you count sacks and whatnot, and you end up with, you know, less than 100 yards rushing uh, for TCU. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's still a little bit of concern about that secondary. Um, but when, to your point, you match up and you just, like, you, you want to get into the battle of the trenches. Now, Michigan will have their say, or, you know, others will have their say, Alabama, Georgia, obviously. But, yeah, I think Texas can, can walk in any of those battles and feel like, yeah, our dudes up front, especially on the defensive line, can go toe-to-toe with your guys and, and win a lot of those battles. I mean, there's just – there's NFL talent right there, and it's it's very obvious when you watch them. Um, but yeah, I mean TCU made it made it a game. Uh, Josh Hoover had some big pass plays uh, late to uh, to make that exciting, but uh, just not enough in the end. And uh, should have had a lot more earlier on. I mean it was six nothing entering the fourth quarter. Uh, you do anything else earlier in that game, and and maybe it's a different outcome uh, rather than having to score three touchdowns and. You know, just wish there was more time remaining or that you could get one more stop. But I, I do think you mentioned Adonai Mitchell, uh, Adonai Mitchell, and uh, he's got a clutch gene that just not a lot of yes. guys have. Like, you can you can recruit four-star wide receivers and expect them to be pretty good, but not everybody comes equipped with, like, that ability to just make that big catch that can seal a game for you. And he's done that what feels like multiple times for them already this year. Um, that was a huge uh, first down catch that you were referring to to put it away. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a really good player. That was, right. a, that was a big pickup for them this offseason. All right, so there was that game. The Oklahoma game against West Virginia, I was watching that. When we did the pregame, I went home. And, I mean, that thing, that it, it was somewhat competitive, but that thing was over quickly. Gabriel and, and OU and OU's defense, they just mauled the Mountaineers. Um, it felt a little like the LSU-Florida game in that, you know, West Virginia had a couple of, you know, shots to take, and, and they, you know, early on you think, like, okay, well, maybe if their defense plays like their defense has, and then before, you know, like the third water break their defense took, it was like all over for them. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma just swarmed them. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they, they were up big uh, pretty quickly uh, at halftime. I mean, that game was already pretty much out of reach, it felt like, the way that it had gone. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was just a, a – Harsh reality check for for West Virginia. You've had a pretty good year, but rolling into Norman against a team that's had a couple of losses in a row and clearly knows like it's now or never for this season. Um, that was just a bad recipe for the Mountaineers to walk into. Uh, Oklahoma is a really good team. It's just that they've lost a couple of really tough games. But Drake Stoops had a monster showing. I mean, what a day for Drake Stoops! I should have mentioned with TCU, Savion Williams had a really nice day for yeah, them as did. well in the he passing just, game. He one. had a big game. It's worth mentioning. Josh Hoover, you see little signs with him that. He could be pretty good when when all is said and done, but but going back to to OU, uh, Drake Stoops, uh, monster day for him with 164 yards and three touchdowns on 10 catches, um, able to run the ball really effectively uh, as well uh, with Gavin Sawchuck being the the main star there. Gabriel obviously had a huge day, so yeah, just way too much Sooners. They were just they were they were the better team, and uh, there was just no answer for that offense. All right, Kansas State mauled Baylor. Uh, it, it was uh, at one point like 38 to 19 and at least like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you had a pick six and you had a, a this and that. It was, I score. think, a scoop and score. And that thing got out of hand uh, as really was not surprising whatsoever. A nice bounce back win for the Wildcats after the tough loss in Austin the week before. I mean, Blake Shapin threw four touchdowns, which he's never done before. So that's cool. Um, that's about all you take away from this game, though, was, hey, that was neat. Good, good record for you. And uh, what, Dawson Pendergrass caught a couple of touchdowns. Cool for him. There's little individual moments, and that's all you can really take away from this game. 
Guys, I don't know how they keep doing this. I, I really do. I do not know how they keep doing this. Uh, I know they can for the next couple of weeks. They have no choice. The TCU game's a big rivalry game. But I felt like even watching Dave Aranda in the post game that there's a guy who at least in the past few weeks and fans didn't want to hear it and they're tired of hearing it. But he at least like seemed as though there were reasons that he believed in and things that were happening behind the scenes that he believed in, that this was all still going, not according to plan, but it was still in their control, so to speak. That seemed like a man who had absolutely no answers and no idea of where to turn next in the postgame. And I don't blame him because you just got nearly 60 hung on you. And if Kansas State wanted to, they could have pushed it down and pushed it past 60 if they really had wanted to. Um, You had a a touchdown there at the very end of the game that made that even – a 34-point game, it was going to be a 40-plus point loss, and then Monterey Baldwin, his one catch on the day, comes at the very end of the game, a little six-yard touchdown. Um, Besides that, he was non-existent. Uh, I mean, you really have to, like, just go like, well, uh, Dominic Richardson had 89 yards. That's cool. Like I said, Shapin had four touchdowns. But, like, that's all you walk away with. There's no... They're better. They're getting better. This is turning the corner. There's hope for the future. There's none of that after that game. It's just a big old butt whooping that you could see coming from a mile away. But the problem is, is like now even the one guy who you didn't really believe, but you're like, oh, he's the head coach. Like, okay, he knows where this is going. Even he doesn't sound like he has an answer now at this point. So I don't know, man. I don't I don't know how you keep running this back uh, besides the next couple of games and, and expect everybody to just – Stick with this thing. Mac Rhodes will join us tomorrow. Here's a conversation. Again, we're not going to run the whole thing. This is about a minute long. My question for Dave Aranda uh, today during his weekly presser. Dave, with, with how this season has gone, and you even mentioned the, the, the storm around your name last week when you and I spoke. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like these next two weeks for you is like an interview process or that this is you coaching for your job? No, I appreciate that. I I think the whole thing is that, you know, I think it's always that. I think that's the, I mean, I, I don't, uh, my aim is to answer your question, but I think I really feel to pull all the way back. I think it's always that. I think it's, you know, um, you have to win. Uh, There's too much money in all of this to not win. And we haven't won, you know? And I think um, the, I think to, to um, to know that, and then to, to kind of drop in to Waco, Texas, and see that um, we're trying our best and we're doing all of it, and there's still great support. I think really speaks to the leadership and the type of people that they are, you know. And so I'm very appreciative of that. But I fully know that we have to win, and we, you know, we needed to win a couple weeks ago too. So we're trying our best to do that. That's a very practical answer. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, it, 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 like the, there's, that's the. I mean, to me, that's the, the 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 most straightforward way to answer that question without getting into the, you know, getting angry about it or like you've seen coaches answer that same question every every which way but loose. But yeah, that's the truth. There's a lot of money in it, and this is a team that, you know, you that the game the other day was the worst one all year as far as getting blown out, and they've, they've done it a couple times, but. They cannot do two good things in a row. Okay, so Kansas State goes down and scores on the first drive, right? Yeah. Baylor goes and responds. Best hey, drive of the year. Yeah, best drive of the whole year. Hey, that's great. What do you do immediately after you kick the extra point? You give them 50 yards on a kick return almost, and they're set up to do it again. And then before you can say jackrabbit, it's 28-7. to seven. 
Yeah, yeah you had a special teams miscue dropping yeah. the punt near the. I mean, like they had the. Yeah, I mean, I, I forget the order now. Was the, yeah. the scoop and score was right after that, yeah. and then it was twenty-one-seven. Like boom, like it was seven-seven, and then all of a sudden it's twenty-one-seven, then it's twenty-eight-seven, it's thirty-five-seven, and yeah, it's it's a blowout. And I, I I like the guy a whole lot, but I mean, I just there's an apathy there now that's apparent. And I think I said in an article is, yes, this is big business as A&M has shown, as he just pointed out as well. There are lives, you know, as far as livelihoods that are on the line. There's this very real deal, real life things here, but it's also supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be entertaining. Right. And you can't always guarantee wins, but there's nothing fun about this right now. And I can't imagine those in the program are having a whole lot of fun, given they're right in the center of that that storm. And so it's just a it's a rough deal. It's it a rough is, deal. and it'll be interesting to hear Mac Rhodes. We need to break. Come back with Brett McMurphy. His thoughts about some of the coaching openings too. But do what what happened in College Station or anywhere else? Does that how does that affect if you're an AD and you might be looking for somebody else? If in fact you do make a change, which does seem like it's more towards that than anything else. Not that anyone from the athletic department has told me that, but that, that Craig, you're right. It's just how can you keep doing this over and over again? It's got to be some major changes no matter where it is. We'll figure that out and also talk to Mac about it too. When we come back, Brett McMurphy, Action Network HQ. This is 365 Sports. Petty Clinic, LowT.com. Dr. Kent Petty can help you become the high-performance man you want to be, need to be, used to be. Because he can help you with your testosterone level if, in fact, it has dropped too low. It's part of Father Time. It One out of every three to four men have symptomatic issues of low testosterone. It could be you. It may not be you. But if you have any of the symptoms from your sleep habits are not the same, your energy is low, your sex drive is not the same, any of that, one or all of that, it could be your testosterone level. It happens. One out of every three to four men deal with that as they grow older, and it doesn't mean you have to be 55 or 60. It could happen even before that. Dr. Petty can help you set up. uh, He will set up, in fact, the lab work for you to go get your blood work, get your blood uh, results. He'll get them, look at them, and if your testosterone level is too low, he could put you in a program to increase your testosterone level for you to become and what you need to be the man you want to be, used to be, need to be. PettyClinicLowT.com. In our logo and advertising, we say we are people that you can count on. What does that mean? It starts with providing a quality vehicle and quality service at a fair price. But it also means we do what we say we will do, and we treat people fairly with respect. It starts by hiring great people, good local folks who work hard with a caring attitude. Our employees are the real reason we are people that you can count on. Put us to the test and see for yourself that at Richard Car Motors, we are people you can count on. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby is a homegrown, locally owned pizza place that's out of this world. Everything from the dough, the sauce, the sausage topping is made fresh in-house. Not to mention the amazing pizza pillows, the chicken wings are to die for. Try the Sikkim sauce, chili cheese fries or tots, plus great specials on food and drink every single day. Shorty's is also the perfect spot to watch the game with your friends. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby. Tell them Paul sent you by. want to know why Stonewood Dental is so successful? Listen to what happy customers have to say. It's pleasant. It's different than any other dentist's office. I really feel like they care. 
and it's not that you're here for two hours waiting on someone to take care of you. It's quick and easy, and you know, I bring my kids, and my kids love being here too. They really love the treasure box. <laughs> Staff is really nice and accommodating, real friendly. You feel more like home. It's not sterile looking. Everybody has their own personalized rooms with decorations and decor, and they'll even have a blanket for you when it's cold. <laughs> I've recommended people to actually come here, and they are patients now. I really love it here. It feels like family. Learn more, stonewood-dental.com. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge checking and savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers too. Nachos and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrift off I-35 in Carrollton. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now, here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Brett McMurphy, love talking to him, appreciate his time. Action Network HQ joins us on 365 Sports. Brett, thank you. Uh, it was almost a black Sunday, not because of the numbers of coaches who are no longer uh, coaching, but kind of a carryover into today. Was the A&M the biggest of those jobs, or is there one bigger that might come open, in your opinion? No, I think uh, A&M's the biggest one. Um, you know, there was a lot of speculation that that could be a possibility. I joked a couple of weeks earlier that it kind of depended on the price, <laughs> depended on the price of oil, <laughs> uh, whether they would make that move or not. But, you know, A&M's a unique circumstance. They're in the SEC. They want to compete with the likes of Alabama and Georgia. They haven't been able to do that. Heck, they haven't even been able to win their own division. And now you've got, uh, you know, their hated arch rivals are coming back to join their conference after they had left the conference they were in with Texas. Um, and so all these kinds kind of things have stacked on top of each other. And then, obviously, the money Jimbo makes increases the expectations tenfold. The only coach in college football history to have not one, not two, but three teams start the season in the top six of the AP preseason poll and three times finish the year unranked. So mm. question is now what, what way, what direction do they go? I don't think it really matters. You just It's simple, but it's not simple. you got to find somebody to come in there and win. And once they can do that and win a division – 
Well, there won't be divisions probably in a while, but, uh, you know, get into the playoffs um, and have some success, then maybe they can achieve these uh, expectations they have and fill up that empty trophy case. Brett, is there a candidate that's been floated out there that you would say is unreasonable, especially given the fact that money is not an object here? No, I don't. I don't think anything's unreasonable. I just, you know, Ross Bjork, the A and M's AD, has to figure out, you know, is he going to go for the highest profile guys out there? And you, you guys know all the names. Um, you know, a, a Lane Kiffin, a Dan Lanning, um, those types that have had a great deal of success where they're at. Um, and that's basically your for your next coach. You're, you're basing that on the success they've had at the previous stop. I mean, Jimbo won a national title at Florida State. Or do you take a chance on a Jeff Trailer at UTSA, who's been in Texas basically his entire life and has done an incredible job um, with the Roadrunners, you know, or do you go for the more of a safer pick with a more high-profile guy? Because, like you said, money's not going to be the option. And again, I don't, I don't think it, any of those guys is the, is the automatic number one choice, or I don't think any of those guys would be would be bad hires. But ultimately, you're not going to know until somebody gets in there and you see what they do and see what kind of success they've had because. There's a laundry list of coaches who have gone places we thought were going to be home run hires, the best hires ever. This simply didn't pan out. Um, no offense, Scott Frost. So you really never know until you get a guy in there and see what happens. The Zach Arnett experiment at uh, Mississippi State didn't last long. Obviously, that came on the heels of, of you know uh, of tragedy there. But uh, I guess just Mississippi State had seen enough uh, this quickly and, and thought they'd, they'd cut their losses while they still could. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, with, with what happened, you know, the tragedy with Mike Leach passing away and Zach takes over. They, they rally when the, when the bowl game last year. And, you know, at that point, you know, you're, now you're after, Jan, you know, January 1st. Who, who are you really going to be able to get in there? Uh, and if you could get somebody in there, are you going to sign them to a five or six year deal? Um, whoever would have been available? Probably not. And so Zach was the best option, um, incredible defensive coach. But, you know, things just, you know, have not worked out this year. And and I don't know if necessarily that's Zach's, Zach's fault because you go from doing an air raid where basically your whole recruiting philosophy was to recruit guys to that offense, and then no, you're no longer really an air raid offense. So how you, how's any coach going to perform? So – you know, it kind of made sense. You've got a new athletic director also in there, and Zach Selman. So it kind of made sense. And then it certainly didn't help uh, Zach's cause when, you know, the second half of the season, the, the wheels literally fell off. And, you know, they couldn't do anything offensively. Defense was having a hard time. And, um, you know, I think what's, you know, you mentioned, you know, Black Sunday we've already had with Brady Hope resigning today. We're done. Four coaches already, or four schools looking for for new coaches next year. But we've kind of moved up the timetable because with the transfer portal and everything else, you really no no longer can wait till the end of the season because you feel like you're you're um, you're trying to play catch up with everybody else. 
Yeah, it, it, you know, Scott Frost got axed earlier. Uh, Joey McGuire took the Texas Tech job. It seemed like in the middle of the season or towards that moment in 2021, that was unique. Uh, Brett, you have a top 25 vote. Uh, I saw your ballot. You had Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State, Michigan, and Washington. Uh, when you vote for when you put Michigan where you do, does any of what we're seeing, hearing, knowing come into play with your vote? No, absolutely not. And that's based that's based on two things. But the first thing is it's a snapshot of the season. It's not how I think they're going to end up the year. Sure. So that's basically what they've done to this point. And, yeah, I'm, look, Michigan has steel clubbed everybody they play. <laughs> but they played a bunch of tomato cans until last week when they played at Penn State. So that's really the first quality opponent they played this year. I mean, the only team other than – Penn State that they beat with a winning record is UNLV, who's having an incredible year, but they're group group five team, and Rutgers. So again, right now at this point, I, that's why I have them where where I have them ranked. My bold projections, which project how I think the year is going to end up, I've got them in the final. I think they're going to win the Big Ten. I think they're going to win their semifinal game. I think they'll be playing for the championship. But right now. I'm not ready to put them there. They take care of business against Maryland and beat Ohio State. Um, they will, at worst, be number two in my ballot, possibly number one. When Michigan has its day in court on Friday, do you think that that will um, put Jim Harbaugh back on the sideline? Wow. I mean, God, I mean, if this is like uh, – you know, it's funny, one of Harbaugh's favorite TV shows, I don't know if you guys know this or not, is Judge Judy. And he's actually he's actually friends with Judge Judy. And this would make the ultimate Judge <laughs> Judy case if we could get if we could get uh, Michigan in front of Judge Judy. Um, you know, I don't know. It's like, kind of like predicting NCA um, penalty or punishments. You you never know um, you never know how it's going to end up. I would look just, you know, obvious conspiracy theory um, folks out there. It's being heard by a Michigan graduate. It's in a Michigan court. You would think they'd find some way to get an injunction and get him back on the sideline. But uh, uh, we'll find out. I mean, it's it's not going to matter against Maryland. I think it matters against Ohio State. But, um, you know, Michigan, Michigan's going to milk this for all that they can. The players are going to rally around them. And uh, if he's not if he's not out there, they may actually you know be more motivated if that's actually possible at this point of the season. Brad, obviously, David Randa here at Baylor. It's been a really rough year. It's been a rough almost now. Well, it's been over a year because of the fate at the end of last year. That's a name that is there, and of course, we're monitoring and discussing that. Uh, and then is is Brian Kelly at UCLA now a little Chip bit Kelly. warm? Chip Kelly, excuse me, at UCLA, kind of a warm seat. Yeah, Chip's, Chip's an interesting case. I mean, he was actually, a couple of years ago, there was thoughts that he may not be renewed or that he would be fired. His contract at that point, um, I don't remember the specific date, but it was after their bowl game. Uh, I think it was in January where the buyout was um, substantially reduced. So what happens is, four hours before kickoff against NC State in the Holiday Bowl, they don't play the game because 
They said they had some COVID issues. Um, so the game's not played. Chip's contract gets renewed. The NC State folks claim the game. That was <laughs> Chip knew he was going to get beat pretty bad um, by NC State because they did have some injuries and other factors going on. Um, so now you fast forward to going to the Big Ten. Um, yeah, that's, that's a um, – look, anything's possible. I would be surprised if if Martin Germain, the UCLA AD, made that move. But, um, again, I guess I've learned not to be surprised by anything. What's, what's kind of the – I mean, I'm, you know, halfway across the country. What's kind of the vibe there in Waco with, uh, with Dave? Well, it's 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 just there's nothing here. It's just kind of the same thing over and over again. Now, for the last several weeks, it's just been kind of. Uh, I think the fan base is. Uh, I think it was up to the fan base that they well, would be moving yeah. on to somebody different. I, I think there's just a. It's, it's in a it's a holding pattern of just not really going anywhere positively. There's no really things to hold on to or cling on to that really make you think this is going to improve all that much in the future. And uh, it's just it's just kind of all piling up, and I think people are kind of at their wits' end, honestly, Brett. I, I think the only thing holding it back is just whatever administratively, you know, might be a hurdle, whether that's a buyout or just feeling like they need another year. But beyond that, I think uh, everybody is pretty resigned to the fact that there's there's a change that needs to be made. There's just not you know a guarantee that there will be one. Yeah, I guess just you know looking at it from afar, and I was at the I can't remember if I talked to you guys about it, but I. My daughter goes to UCF. Yep. So I was actually at the UCF Baylor game, and you know I saw the the best and worst of Baylor in, in sixty minutes. It, it's it's funny that you know how you described it because if I remember correctly, uh, two years ago Baylor had the best season Ever. in school history. Yep. Finished top five or six um, in the country. Um, you know, knocked my Cowboys out of the college football yeah. playoff won a New Year's Six Bowl, and now two years later, people are like, okay, fine, we're done with you, let's get out of here. That, that is not just a Baylor issue. That is every school on the face of the earth fan base issue. Once you reach a certain point, if you don't have that same success each year after that, it's a disappointment. Obviously, this year has been a disappointment for Baylor, but, man, to for them to be that quick, you know, just two years after the fact, like, okay, we're, you know, we're not, we're three and seven, you know, things haven't gone great this year. So it's time to move on. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's how things are. What have you done for me right this second? Um, it's kind of how people are judged, but, um, you know, I, I mean, that's surprising. I don't have a, I don't have a read on that as a national guy on, you know, what his future's like. It's just kind of, it's just kind of mind-blowing that I guess we're kind of at that – every fan base is kind of at that mindset now that it's it, – literally, it's not if you don't win every year. It's like if you don't win every week, people are ready to, to move on and do something else. And the other thing, and this is, again, not just Baylor, but other, other similar programs, whenever people are like, oh, we should get rid of this guy or we, we may need to get rid of this guy, I'm like, okay, that's great. So who are you going to replace them? Who out there is better that can come in here and do this? And do you, do you then have to reset the program back? Um, you know, those are certainly questions that have to be considered. But you know, I, I you know I'll be watching from afar. But um, 
you know, I guess I, that's why I want you guys are obviously ground zero. So I was just curious, you know, what the fans were thinking there, but, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, most times people in this position, uh, you, you've seen it with James Franklin. I'm not comparing Dave to James Franklin, good or bad, but Franklin makes a change of offensive coordinator after another loss to, uh, <laughs> you know, the Ohio State Michigan duo. So maybe there's some staff changes, um, to kind of shake things up, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That that would be that would be wild that a you know coach that had the best season in, in school history, you know, two years ago would be would be out. But that's kind of the times we're in, I guess. Yeah, I would say Brett that Dave made two missteps that he's paying for right now, and whether he gets a chance to correct them. I don't know, and one of them isn't totally his fault in that Baylor was not at all ready for NIL to be, especially around them, especially with Texas and Texas A&M, schools who were like ready to do it as soon as they said go. Baylor wasn't ready to do it when they said go, and that hurt them. And then the other thing was two years ago, he got in the transfer portal at like just above Dabo level. Like I got a couple here and there, but didn't really dive into it. And then I think that's hurting them this year because they don't have any any veterans that you could have kind of brought up through your system that didn't fit somewhere else and they're they're just kind of flailing. Yeah, I mean Yeah, well I mean the, yeah, the good news is obviously the portal that can be that can be changed overnight. Um but if his philosophy is that like Dabo um or Dabo's kicking and screaming being into the 21st century um that obviously would be an issue and yes the nil deal i mean that's you know that's that's a whole different animal and um it, it's like you said it's hard really to blame the head coach for the nil because technically that's something separate from the school but yeah i mean those are those are all valid points and you know again we'll you know it's it's funny some of the greatest coaches of all time, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, um, Mac Brown, um, and different coaches where if they had the success they had at the start of their career now, they'd be um, bagging groceries because they'd be fired. But, they're, you know, those schools they were at stuck around and gave them a chance for three or four years, and then they were able to, you know, have a great deal of success. So, that's not the that's not the time we're in now. It's people want something immediately, but yeah, that's those are some valid points. And um, you know, I, you know, it's it's a crazy time. But the good news is with the portal, um, you know, things can get changed overnight. It's not like the old days where you had to wait three or four years for the recruiting class to to kind of grow up. Yeah, I'd add too as well on Aranda's. He went and got like. 12 guys out of the portal last year and few and far between are actually contributing so when you start talking about well they can hit the portal and that's what you know people are like well how can this this change it's like well you did that last year and it didn't help you fired your oc before you fired your dc before it's just like how many places can you turn and i mean they're one and six at home this year and they're they're not just losing to teams they're getting blown out by teams so i think all that's just really added up and uh really put a, a lot of questions about just Where's the bright spots moving forward, and, and where's the, the avenue to see this thing flip? There's just not a lot of answers there right now. But, Brett, before you go, I did want to ask you, too, uh, I guess Ray Anderson's not going to have to go to Morgantown after all, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got, he got his wish. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think it's surprising that, that he kind of stepped down. Um, it, pretty, a lot of people thought that would happen 
um, you know, in the next year or two, but just the fact that it was so sudden, you know, it's effective immediately. He's not even going to finish out the, uh, the rest of the school year. So, um, yeah, he'll miss all the fun in the, uh, in the big 12 next year when, um, you know, I was talking with somebody earlier today and they were saying, you know, what, what teams going forward, you know, are going to be the, the, the bell cows, if you will, of the big 12. And I said, that's what makes this league so fascinating it's because there's probably three-fourths of the league think that they will be the top team in the Big 12, and I don't think there will be one. I think it's going to just – it'll rotate every year, and that, that will make for some wild conference races. Um, I don't think we're going to have any teams like a Georgia SEC-type run in the Big 12 or a Ohio State-Michigan-type Big 10 run in the Big 12. And that's – I think that's um, – you know, whether it's for Baylor my – my uh, Cowboys up in Stillwater. I mean, that's what makes the next few years so intriguing is because I really think a lot of two thirds of the conference has a legitimate shot to be that team and possibly Arizona state when they get uh, a new AD in there. Cause Kenny Dillingham has done an incredible job. Um, talk about coaching with one arm behind your back, being on NCAA um, probation as far as not going to bowl game. And they pulled off some big wins. So yeah, I can't wait for next year when we when we have the the new Big Twelve and and see all these new schools come in. Uh, but yeah, Ray Anderson will will not be with us. Thank you very much, Brett. Great stuff as always. Appreciate your time on coaching changes, coaching speculation on coaching changes, some of the wins and losses, the top teams at the top, and then also the latest on Ray Anderson, the AD at Arizona State, who is out. We'll have JJ Joe here join us here momentarily. Yeah, I mean, tried to explain it to Brett. I'm sure if we had a conversation off the air, it could really – and I think he got it by the end, but the Aranda thing is really not hard to understand if you've been paying attention to it. It's not hard to understand from a, a fan's point of view. And I, he's, he's very valid in saying, like, hey, you win a Big 12 title a couple of years ago. But it's like, man, they are so far away from what that, that title looked like. Yeah. I mean, they're nowhere close to what that was like. And so, yeah, it's not that far after. But they've – it's it, – put about five years worth of falling off into about a year and a half point in time. And that's why it is where it is right now. All right. We will have Phil Bennett join us in the little bit after the five o'clock hour, uh, a little bit into the five o'clock hour on the A&M and the coaching change among some other things as well. JJ Joe Baylor radio color analyst, former Baylor quarterback, JJ it's, it's uh it's not the definition of insanity, but watching <laughs> Baylor um, man, it is hard. And it, it does appear as if more and more, including today, that Dave Aranda just it's 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 got to be hard on him, but it's hard on the fan base, and it doesn't seem to be any like glimmer of hope down the railroad tracks. Yeah, hey, hey, good to be on with you guys. Yeah, it's, it's you know when you get in the loop, I, I you know I'm not sure if I've seen a movie where you're in the loop. I think it was Groundhog Day, yeah, uh, with Bill Murray in it way back when, right when yep. he woke up, it was the same day, and that's that's kind of what each week seems like outside of maybe a couple of weeks. And Saturday was was really no different. Uh, and you know, Kansas State just kind of showed us, you know, if you do this thing the right way, right, and you and you and you have a staff in place with some continuity, and you you know exactly what your plan is on both sides. You recruit to it. You have a balanced roster. Uh, how you can stay competitive year after year. So, uh, I th- I think watching what Climate is doing there is was an education for all of us. And um, and hopefully, man, we can get out of this loop. And I don't, I, you know, the next two games, 
you know, do we have the opportunity to win? Yes, we do. I mean, we could we could go to TCU and win. Uh, we could we could beat West Virginia at home. Those teams are, are you know, or um, West Virginia is not bad, but you know, the movie we've been seeing would make us all think potentially that won't happen. JJ, psychologically for this team, Saturday was a like that had to be a weird feeling starting out, and that we we just talked about it a second ago. They did, you know, gave up a touchdown to Kansas State right off the bat. All right, well, you, you expected to get that, right, because the Kansas State's really good. And then you go down the field and you have the best drive of your whole season and you right. you score a touchdown, and then they cannot do two good things in a row that has to beat you down mentally as a team. Yeah, you're right. It, and it's, it's interesting because it always pops up in different places, right? It'll uh, On that play where we got the sack fumble, I think Beausoleil um, uh, got beat, uh, and and Blake. Uh, I think um, the veteran, as well as he's playing, I, I thought he held it too long. I said it on there at the time. You know, when you know, you kind of know the context, right? The context is we're playing a solid defense, a really good team, top two or three team in the conference. Um, my my offensive line is struggling a little bit. We go empty. I can't hold this ball past read one, read two, boom, it's got to be out. And he had, he held it for that that third tick, and that's when he got hit. So that was the kind of things, man, that just keep cropping up in different places. One week it's a drop on a guy that's wide open. Sometimes it's a guy who doesn't set the edge. This week it was a missed block by our tackle. But he's a young guy. He's going to be a great kid, great player. And then our quarterback makes just one, kind of maybe holds the ball too long. And it's, it's just popping up in different places. And I know that's got it drives everyone crazy, but it drives them and the coaches crazy as well. JJ, what did you think uh, just defensively? I mean, I, you gave up fifty nine points. That wasn't all on the defense, though. I mean, that was obviously some of that was uh, on the offense. Um, but just defensively, where do you where do you just kind of see the vision right now with this this football team and and where they are here ten games into the year? You know, and that I, I think is I think that's on it's for a random man to figure that out. You know, one of the one of the challenges making that leap from you know a defensive coordinator or assistant coach, you know, assistant coach for a long time to head coach, is is you know being able to pull it all together and defining who you want to be. And I think Coach Arena has a good vision of who he wants to be. The question is who you want to be. Have you married that up with your talent, and have you married that up with your with your coaching staff? Um, and, um, you know, the whole time I, I, I never was crazy. I, I liked that our offense was highly successful in 21, but I always felt, well, we're, we're in the land of quarterbacks and speed and to go counter to that, it, it could work, but I thought to go counter to that is, 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 is a challenge, right? Um, I think we struggle to coach speed. Uh, even when Tyquan was here, we struggled to get him deep. We struggled to get him on anything other than a 13 in or out route. A 13 yard in and out route. And right now, I think we're seeing it is that like the two, one, two of the fastest plays, the three of the fastest plays we have on offense, uh, we could probably count on our hand how many times they've touched the ball over the last few weeks. And I would say those three fastest people on our offense are probably Jonah Burton, Monterey Baldwin, and Richard Reese. Now, we can say all we want to say about Richard Reese, is that, but probably those three guys are probably, and I take that back. And, um, oh, what's the young kid named number 18? He's pretty fast too. Um, uh, that they moved to running back. Jordan I'm, I'm yeah, name. Jordan Neighbors. Yeah, yeah Jordan yeah. Neighbors. Those four kids can really run. Now, Neighbors is young. Jonah Burt is, is young. But we have a hard time getting the ball. Um, that doesn't happen 
in 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 the in, in the era of football that I'm used to, where your swiftest players, you have a hard time getting them the ball, and we have a we seemingly had a hard time getting those kids the ball on a consistent basis this year. Yeah, it just seems to me it's hard to do whatever they're doing. It just seemed like it's a struggle. I know they had the bounce back first drive or the drive after K State took the lead. Right, right. And then, you know, then all of a sudden you look up, it's 28 to nothing or 28-7, 35-7, whatever on top of that. Just, just, it smoke, it smoke, not to cut y'all smoke, but what, what, that, what happens is that, like, you'll watch this and we'll have these, like, think about the drive we scored at the beginning, right? Uh, I forgot. I think we got a big play. I think we got a 38-yarder. We got something. We got a big play. And so that cut that drive down. Instead of it being an 8 to 10, it cut it down to maybe a 4 or 5 play drive. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have. That's why you got to make sure you scheme in your speed getting the ball, because if someone misses a tackle on your speed, they're going to get thirty for you, and it cuts down those drives that have to, that are, we're we're running twelve plays to get a score, and you need those play. You need those drives to go six or seven plays. JJ, if you don't mind, uh, we've had we have Ricky on too on Wednesdays, and he's down there on the field, and you guys travel. Uh, you're you're with the team uh, enough. What do you see? Is it a beaten-down team, in your opinion? You know, that that would be a great question for Ricky on Wednesday. I mean, he, you know, he's right there with them. Okay. You know, I'll go down to something that pregame smoke. But, you know, I, I, you know, I thought really to start the game, I thought on Saturday I actually felt life. I felt like uh, these guys are ready to compete. And I don't think it was just because of the first drive. Uh, I, You know, I thought Kansas State did a good job on their first drive, but I didn't get a feeling that our guys were, you know, lethargic. On their on defense, that first drive, I just felt like Kansas State was good, had a good plan coming in, and executed it pretty swiftly. So, you know, that'll be a great question for Rick. All right, go ahead, Craig. Yeah, no, I think I think they played hard. I think they just got overpowered by a way better team in the long run. That that, that, that was just my biggest takeaway. But uh, before we let you go, JJ, uh, thoughts on TCU? Obviously, a big rivalry game. Uh, not good luck there lately, uh, especially twice last, or I guess uh, the end of last year, heading up to Fort Worth. But they're not quite what they were a year ago. What have you seen from TCU, and just what are your thoughts heading into this game? Yeah, I've seen the freshman. I like the freshman quarterback. You know, they they're struggling like we are. I thought they played good against Texas. I mean, Texas jumped out on them and they made a run back on Texas. I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. So they showed fight. Uh, but it'll be this, you know, the, it'll be I think a normal rivalry game. Both teams just trying to get a win. Baylor trying to make sure they don't go to a bowl. I, I would say I would say the only thing I think Greg that I don't like about it is this new name they have for it. Smoke oh. is this blue bonnet. I'm trying to think like, come on, man, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm. Uh, I, I know I had someone contact me. I'm going to discuss it with them tonight and and do a, an interview for maybe sometime this week. But I don't even know where that came from. And I, you hear that maybe. The TCU did not want anything revivalry. I don't know the truth. I really don't. Not sure I care. But that does seem to be pretty soft. It does. And when I saw it, I'm thinking that made me think back to the Blue Bonnet Bowl. Yeah, that was a hell of a bowl game. It really was. But I just there's nothing Blue Bonnet, nothing about the game between TCU and Baylor makes me think Blue Bonnet. I guess outside of maybe a little purple uh, in TCU's uniform. That's about it, I guess. You know it's always a rousing success when immediately afterwards everybody's pointing the finger as to whose idea it was to come up with the, the name, you know? Exactly. It's like, it's like that Spider-Man meme.
You know, it's like, oh. no, you, 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 you. Yeah. Hey, uh, exactly. There's nothing. It's just there's so nothing intimidating about it or exciting. Like for a football fan, like if you just took the name of something and said, hey, like, for example, the Red River shootout. Like if you were watching a Western, you'd watch that movie. Right. But if you exactly. told, if you told me I was going to watch the Blue Bonnet battle, I would think you're going to take me to an HGTV show about <laughs> flowers. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, man. I wouldn't. You. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure that's that's gone over very well, JJ. I hope it doesn't stick. Let me put this is one of the things. I, I hope it does not stick. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Thank you, man. We appreciate you coming Thank on. You guys. I know it's not easy. Thank you, JJ Joe, color radio, a radio color analyst, and a JJ on Mondays, Ricky Thompson on Wednesdays. So I'll try to make sure to remember to ask Ricky that question on Wednesday when we come back. Five o'clock hour. Oh, this will be fun. Phil Bennett, A&M is open. He lives there. He's been there. He's played there. He's coached there. His thoughts there. That's next. This is 365 Sports. Waco Custom Marketplace. Holiday items. I was there. It was on Friday. Went by there Friday to get a couple of things. I was going to do some bacon-wrapped shrimp. Got the bigger shrimp. Not quite the large tiger shrimp, but got some... uh, uh, some seasoned black pepper bacon, wrapped them around some shrimp, put them in that ninja that you have, and it was delicious. I got all the product from Waco Custom Marketplace. And with uh, it's, it's hard to imagine. Thanksgiving is not this week. It's next week. I keep thinking it's in a couple of weeks. It's next week. So if you have not and you're in the Waco area, bought your hams or your turkeys or turkey, they have those. I was there. They have these big bins with brisket, big bins with tri-tip, also, even uh, even still, big crab claws, and if you want the corn, etc. For that, but half spiral hams, pit hams, boning hams, mini pit hams, all available at different prices per pound. And then also the whole raw turkeys, twelve to sixteen pounds, two fifty a pound, and also whole smoked turkeys at nine to twelve pounds at three seventy five a pound. The smoked turkeys, I saw one. Uh, they have uh, what you need, the brand you want. Uh, with numerous turkeys and hams for you for the holidays, whether it's Thanksgiving or even later for Christmas and the New Year's. Give them a call. All of that is in stock right now. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or cheap sunglasses, but when it comes to your financial needs, no one wants a one size fits all strategy. Ben Erlinson, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why he takes the time to understand your needs, knowing you. That's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Ben Erlinson, 100 North 6th Street in Waco, 254 759 8533. Edward Jones, member SI. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. 
Find out why more Central Texas are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge checking and savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB, your bank for life. Member FDIC. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovi. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally hear. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. Cars price right, day and night. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is sponsored by Edward Jones Investments with financial advisor Ben Erlinson, who will navigate you through today's financial climate. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now here's David Smoke, Paul Catalina, and Craig Smoke. Well, uh, when I text Bill Bennett earlier just to remind him about the show, yeah, we were going to discuss a lot of things, but obviously the coaching change at Texas A&M. I saw a note from Dan Wetzel from Yahoo Sports. Jimbo Fisher, in the end, was paid $2.7 million per win during his time at Texas A&M. And he's out. Phil Bennett, longtime college football coach, alum, Played there, coached there at AM. We've discussed it many, many times. Phil, if you were asked to be a consultant for this, do you go get the coach that makes everybody who wants to sit down and have a scotch and celebrate a big name? Or do you want a fit? Can they find a fit like they used to have with RC? They've got to find substance. They, they can't worry about winning the press conference or, or you know, what the, what the, uh, Hotwire, the the Twitter, what everybody's saying, social media. They've got to find a coach of substance. You know, we've gone through 12 years of lack of leadership. And, and I'm not saying that. I don't have a thing against uh, Kevin Sumlin. I coached him. Uh, or, or Jimbo Fisher. But we've had 12 years of lack of leadership. And and, and everybody talks about what A&M can be. Um I mean, they've got to get this right, and they've got to hire a coach that that has the substance, the organization, the direction, and can implement a plan to, to you know, Jimbo got everything he wanted. 
you, you know, Smokey, he, he got everything he wanted, and, and it just didn't work for him for whatever reason. Phil, it seemed to you mentioned that. I was going to ask that question. It seems to me, and A&M's uh, power brokers can be famously, like many power brokers can, be famously meddlesome. But with Jimbo, he got everything he wanted, and the first time they meddled was saying, maybe you bring in Bobby Petrino um, to call them or bring an offensive coordinator. I don't know if they, they necessarily wanted Bobby Petrino, but that's what they got. Um, is it hard for coaches when they do get all that they want because they were given so much runway to sometimes get out of their own way? There's no question. That, I mean, you sit there and you watch this team. Uh, of course, COVID uh, probably gave him a couple of extra years, the year they won nine games. Uh, and went to the Orange Bowl. But, uh, you know, I just think that – and you look at the guys that, that – one of the things, and I've said this to all of y'all, evaluation and recruiting is key. They are not a dominant team. They're not a, they're not a team that you'll say, oh, boy, they got a lot of NFL guys. They don't. So that tells me the recruiting, the evaluation, I don't care what their classes are ranked, by 247, by by – uh, ESPN, it doesn't matter. The production uh, is about players that, that go and produce and go to the next level. They just haven't had that. So, you know, whoever comes in needs to be able to evaluate, run a program, uh, and, and do the things necessary to compete in the SEC. Coach, what's it like this time of year in coaches' offices when you're seeing the, the news headlines coming down and it's that carousel type of a season? Just what's that like from a coach's point of view? Obviously, you're still preparing for games and whatnot, but how do you get or how into the weeds do you get? And, and oftentimes, it could be you yourself that's the focus of some of that talk. Well, just what you're saying. Uh, uh, you're focused. They've got two games, and, and, and they're going to let the powers to be find the coaches, and and they they've got to know that 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 whoever is on their their horizon, they better research it and see, make sure he's a fit. And, and you know there there are such things as fits. Yeah, you know, I've told people there. There's good coaches. I mean, we know some good coaches. I've I've I've, I've talked to a lot of coaches during this, and there's some good coaches in the state of Texas. There might be another R.C. Slocum. That could that could you know take this program and and, and give it some footing and and some championship. I just hope that they don't. Everybody's you know mentioning Urban Meyer, or, you know, and, and all the all the top people. But but there might be some people that that they really need to talk to to see where they want to go. Would you, uh, if you were A and M, would you contact Jeff Trailer? I would call. I have told everybody I've talked to I absolutely would I absolutely would um, I, I would I would contact Jeff because I think he gets it I've, I've known him forever I played against him I know what kind of coaches he could get a staff together and Jeff is smart enough to know that he might not be able to bring everybody from uh, UTSA but but he gets it and, and um, absolutely I, w- I would think uh and if I have any say in it, they'll, they'll, they'll talk to Jeff Trailer. If you were a school in Texas, if you don't have an opening now, but you might, would you contact Jeff Trailer? Yes, yes. You, you know, the job he's done there, like I said, 
uh, I've known him and I've played against him. Jerry played against him. Uh, he mm-hmm. manages well. His team is disciplined. Uh, they have a purpose. He keeps his finger on them. Uh, all the things that wasn't happening here is happening at UTSA. And, and, and you know, I think there's other people too. I mean, you got to look at a bunch of people. I think sure. the guy at Missouri has done a great job. Mm. Uh, you know, Dan Lanning, I don't know if, he, if they could get him. Uh, everybody mentions him. You know, they have this list of things. But you want somebody that's done it. And, and I'm telling you, and you know this, Smoke, when, when, when Jeff got to UTSA, it was, it, it was down. And, and he built, and they evaluated well, and they are a football team and a program. Coach, uh, I was kind of referring to this earlier too, but what's it like in, in, let's say, the coach's office when you see another school that you're familiar with or might be a rival in conference, they make a move. Like when you guys were at Baylor and you see that, that Mac Brown's leaving Texas, just what's kind of the reaction within the coach's offices and what do you guys kind of, kind of talk about when that new comes, news comes across the desk? We are all uh, – we're, we're, we're part of – we're the puppets in the game. And, and, you know, I still remember, I tell people this, and I'm not an excuse maker, but I dreaded when, when, when they got rid of Mac after we beat them uh, that year, I knew where they were going. And, and I'm telling you, it affected us in that, in that bowl game in Arizona. It was mm-hmm. a nightmare. Yep. And, and it affected everybody. And, and, and you just sit there, there it, it's like something happens in Waco. It, it, the, the, it resounds all over the country. You know, in, in College Station, there's people saying, what about this? What? You know, you, you look at people at Missouri, you look at Oregon, you look at UTSA, everybody's going, what's going to happen? You know, it becomes, it, it, it becomes like a volcano shaking everything. Phil, uh, one of the names that I know this is like it would be out of nowhere, not really out of nowhere, but like a really, really, you know, long pass to complete if they wanted to. But Dan Campbell is the coach of the Detroit Lions. He bleeds as much maroon as anybody on planet Earth. Uh, Aaron Glenn's his defensive coordinator for crying out loud. I know that you are familiar with those two guys. Um, yep. I don't think it would happen because he's done a great job there. But do you think Dan Campbell would be a good – because college and NFL is a different thing. Would he be a good college coach? Dan is one of the best, toughest persons I've ever been around. I mean, uh, he was here with me. I loved him. Uh, you know, we signed Aaron Glenn to Purdue. I helped him come to A&M. I love those guys. I'm just – not sure right now that that they understand the college game is different and they are doing such a bang up job where they're at and they've been there the last 20 years I'm just not sure not not that they couldn't do it I'm just not sure that the switch would would, would be an easy one that that's my thinking well, hell, he's got a hell of a team right now. Yeah, he's going to Detroit. I mean, yeah. Maybe the best yeah, thing ever. In the, he, he might be in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And, and, and um, here I laugh. He might be the one guy in the, in the NFL, maybe maybe Brable, but he could probably whoop any, any player on the team. <laughs> Good chance, yeah. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Bill Bennett, Texas A&M alum, former player, former assistant coach. 
uh, lives there, and uh, of course with us on Mondays on 365 Sports. Phil, what would you, Mississippi State is open. Zach Arnett, uh, really good defensive coach and was a guy who was up and coming. That was a strange situation for him to try to maintain what Coach Leach was doing and kind of keep that band together because Mike Leach was so unique and it, it's hard to just step into his shoes after suddenly losing him like that. I'm sure one day he's going to be a head coach again and he'll be a defensive coordinator wherever he wants to pretty much as soon as that, that offer comes for him. What do you think Mississippi State does or where, where, where should they go and look? Because they're in that, that kind of middle of the pack to the bottom of the SEC and need somebody to help them break through. I think that that he did a, a a great job of holding together last year with Mike's situation, and you know as sad as everything was, I, I think he probably deserved the job. I heard today that it was almost a make good contract. Now I don't I don't know the extent of it. I know that they hired a new athletic director during this tenure. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. So he looked at it. And it really was just a bad timing thing for him. And that's what coaching is. I mean, either you hit it at the right time or you don't. And I think it's all the things that you said. He is a good defensive coach. I think he'll have no problem getting a job. I think the athletic director, uh, Selman, saw that I need to make the switch to my guy. And he took this opportunity because I think the payout is, is you know, compared, obviously, compared to Jimbo's is, is next to nothing. So uh, that's, the, that's the way of, of the world right now. With its NIL, I mean, every coach out there is on a short leash. And if you don't believe it, just look what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Phil Bennett with us on 365 Sports. Craig? Coach, uh, TCU gave Texas a little bit of a run there late. Couldn't quite pull off the upset, however. Texas did also lose Jonathan Brooks, their, their running back for the year. Um, your thoughts on, on just that contest and, and Texas in the driver's seat right now as far as controlling their own destiny? Except for the playoffs, things would have to break. But if they went out, they'd have a good shot at that. But what would you think of that game, TCU and Texas? It was an interesting game. You sat there and you kept watching. I had not watched uh, TCU's quarterback as much as I did in this game. I watched the whole game. He got better and better and confident. Uh, and and I, I'm just telling you, they're gonna, that's going to hurt Texas not having Brooks. Baxter's a good player, uh, and they do have some other backs. And, and I know this. Uh, Ewing probably can play better than he played after being out for three weeks. But I think TCU showed a lot of toughness and character. You know, it's, it's, think about their season. After last year, lost a lot of people, won a lot of close games. It's just not happening for them right now. And that was a game that with just a couple of breaks, they could have won that game. And uh, it, it's just not happening for them. And, and then now, you know, they've got their, their arch rival in the, at the, at the Baptist, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, Phil, the um... – this, the thing you brought up about that game in the Fiesta Bowl out in Arizona, Art's name was all over the place. The Statesman sent a reporter, Brian Davis, to cover Baylor practice and also the uh, the game itself. He even told us that. Craig asked Art after practice one day about the you know the speculation, and of course he 
he kind of blew that off because you can't believe everything you hear. So it was bad, huh? It wasn't it was it, it, we were out in the lobby doing our show at the team hotel, and every time someone walked up to us, they asked us about what we knew. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I can say it now. I mean, it was Art and I met uh, on a. We had villas out there, and he called me, and I went over. I never asked questions because I, I I know too many people, and he asked, called me. He said, "Listen," he said, uh, "I forget the guy's name. He was a, the the AD. wasn't there long. He was coming out there, and, and, and I feel bad now. I said, I don't take it, don't take it. <laughs> little, little did we know, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You pissed off the whole nation down there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, and that was, and I'm not, I'm definitely not speaking for Art, but I do know at one time, just like a lot of people, that was his dream job because it's got, it's got so many avenues, you know, to success. And, uh, and, but at the same time, I know, hey, Art was offered the tech job when Tuberville left. I got a, a call at 6 a.m. in the morning and, and, uh, and I told him, I said, we got a better job. We got a better job. It's, you know, we're, we're getting it done here. And, and they're working with us. And uh, so he, he definitely had opportunities. And, and, what, and I'm not an excuse maker. I mean, UCF played good, but, but our kids were hearing too much. I mean, you're right. It was everywhere. And they're asking me, y'all going to be here? You're going to be, you know, and it just wasn't our normal situation. Why had players asking me what yeah, we were hearing because yeah, yeah. we were in the same hotel as you guys. Oh, I know. It yeah. Was, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. right there in Scottsdale. It was, uh, it was rampant. And, you know, keeping them – when you're at a bowl game, a coach's worst nightmare is keeping them corralled. I remember the night before the game, uh, the security come got me uh, and really one of our young coaches. And, hell, I was up. You know, I, of course, it was a night game, but I was up and – I had to go raise hell with the players because, you know, they were just – you sort of – you lose your, your your bearing about what you're there for. Well, and, and then also, that was the first Big 12 championship because yeah. then it was Michigan State, which, of course, the end of that game was uh, gut-wrenching for anyone associated right, with Baylor. Yeah. yeah. But that was the first championship. Did, did there is there a chance you can almost celebrate that a little bit too much? Well, it, I, I, maybe, uh, and like I said, I, I, I sure don't want to take anything away sure. from UCF. They did a nice job, and I, I just did not feel comfortable the whole week. And, and I can tell you that. My wife can tell you. She goes, "What's the matter? We're going to beat them." I said, uh, "You know," I said, "We're we're we were too lo- too many things going on." And and, and you're, maybe you're right because we hadn't been on that stage before. Uh, maybe maybe that was the issue. You know, we went to the year before we went to San Diego, and hell, nobody gave us a cut dog's chance. Yep. And we literally we literally whacked UCLA. So uh, maybe it was just the environment. And, so, and like I said, those things happen, and they affect so many people. You know, I was just on the phone with KJ Morton. He called me. He's living in Columbus, Ohio. He brought it up. He's a coach. You remember the tackle? I mean, I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember the game, but they threw, they scored 21 points on balls thrown behind the line of scrimmage on this tackle. I mean, it's the damnedest thing I've ever been a part of. They didn't even throw the ball downfield. It was zero yardage, and KJ, uh, and we had 
three interferences on third down that were horrific. We had a, a, a ACC crew, same crew that we had in, in North Carolina game. I mean, it was terrible, and we just couldn't get it going. So uh, what kind of job would you say that – and obviously Alabama still has – games to play, but from where they were following the loss to Texas to who they are now, and unfortunately for everybody in the SEC, there's this team called Georgia, but they're going to play Georgia. They still have two more games to go. What kind of job for a guy that's known as maybe the GOAT uh, has Nick Saban done from a guy from you who's coached the game as long as you have? You know, that's that's why he's Nick Saban. Uh, you know, his preparation for him and his coaches is second to none. He covers all bases. He develops. He evaluates. Um, you know, I think I told you this. A friend of mine coaches there well, and he told me that even though Nick's not an offensive coach, he sat down with his quarterback after the South Florida game. He said, listen, I know you're getting the feel for this. He goes, I know you have a system, but this is what we can do with this Milrose. This is what he can do and be good at. And I'm telling you, they have they have mastered it. And Kevin Steele has done a phenomenal job defensively. They've gotten better. They, they have a feel for it. I mean, they literally swarmed Kentucky last week. Uh, and, and on offense, all they've done is said, okay, this is where – you know, their line wasn't even very good. And all of a sudden now, their line's clicking. Uh, and, and it's because of Nick. Nick covers all avenues. He, he is thorough, he, and he is the GOAT because he makes it important. He doesn't, want, he doesn't uh, tell you lies and feed you candy. He tells you the truth. He said, if we're going to win, this is what we got to do, and they're doing it. All right, you mentioned the week in, in Phoenix. I got a question. Baylor has two games left. They're not going to a bowl game. They're three and seven. It was just a boat race, which was expected in Manhattan. We know that you know the storm, even David Rand has admitted around his name. How hard is it when you may know the, the end game here, although we don't, to keep that team completely focused and or they're also asking the same questions. They hear the same things about Dave and maybe the future at Baylor. It, it, it's hard. Uh, I mean, there's no getting around it. Uh, you know, you're dealing with uncertainties and you're dealing with feelings. You're dealing with, with, with there's, it's hard. It's hard for, for the coaches. It's hard for their families. It's hard for the players. Uh, this is where, uh, you know, you have to really, I've been through it. You, you've got to be above and beyond. Uh, it, it can't be about you. It can't be, it's got, it's got to be about us and the pride of, of, of finishing. You know, I, I, I remember Jim Grove and I talked when we went to the bowl game uh, when we played Boise in that bowl game. And we had sort of had that stretch in there when, when, when we didn't have quarterbacks and we had lost a heartbreaking game to uh, West Virginia. And, and he asked me, he said, Phil, do you think these kids want to play in the bowl game? And I said, absolutely. I said, it's our job. And I mean this. It's our job to make sure that we make this a big game. That's part of coaching. And, and if I go out there and I go through the motions and I'm half-ass coaching, I, I mean, then we get what we deserve. But if you're coaching your ass off and you're, you're, you're coaching like this game means something 
And I'm telling you, that's one of the funnest games I think we, we I had at Baylor when we beat Boise because they thought we were just going to go out there and lay it down and, and get our ass kicked. And they had Riffin. They had a good team, and and, and Jim did a great job uh, of making that game. We all did of being important, and that's where they're at right now. These next two games, hey, it's about us. You know, people will remember. Finish it right. You know, don't go through the motion. And, and I know Dave. I know that coaching staff. I know they will do that. Thank you, man. Appreciate you as always, Coach. Thanks for your time. Thank you, guys. That's Phil Bennett. His thoughts mainly or early on about Texas A&M and then also the other coaching changes and also the speculation elsewhere. I wanted to ask him about Jaden Daniels and how he would try to defend him besides using a big, large cage. But uh, we'll do that maybe with him next week. Yeah, I know we got a little bit of time and – before the end of the show, but I was thinking here before we go to break about a game that I remember being so frustrated by, but in hindsight, and I'd need to ask Phil Bennett about this, but when Patrick Mahomes lit their asses up for like however many yards that was. But see, it happened when Art was gone. So it was the uh, Jim Grobier, and they started off 6-0, and and then they lost to Texas on a fumble that sealed the game. Yep. Uh, when they could have been driving down to win the game, and so instead of going seven and zero, they were suddenly six and one. They lose six straight. To, uh, no, they lose. What was it five? Six stra- in a row? I know, but five straight, and then they go play Tech at the very end of the year oh, yeah. at Jerry's World, and it was just one of the ugliest games you'll ever see. They could not stop the offense, and don't don't mention why in a second. But they couldn't like they could not get off the field. They were giving up third and. Lo- I mean, it was just like it was like. This team's quit, and it didn't help that one of the assistant coaches' wives, who's now at Oklahoma, uh, was like talking trash in the midst of the game about how the coaches already had jobs lined up and yep. whatever. But you know, in hindsight, that was Patrick freaking Mahomes, yeah. and he was doing some of the most insane stuff you've ever seen. But at the time, you thought like this defense sucks; they've quit, <laughs> they're not trying. And then it was like, oh wait, years later, I really oh, it's Patrick Mahomes too. Yeah. Like that didn't help matters that he was out there doing what we would come to know him but to do it, his whole career. That, and know? that that those were some of the games. Like when people look back about, you can take any of the factors out. That was where he was figuring out what his all his superpowers were. Yes. You know, you know, super. When Superman was a kid and he figured he'd run, he ran through the barn. And then, like, well, you don't have to run through the barn. Like, oh, I can fly. Well, he hits a mountain. Well, you can move around the mountains. Like, all that, that's when that was going on. 586 yards passing. Yep. And six touchdowns. Yep. 30 of 46 for 586 and six TDs. They ran for 80 yards, but they didn't need it because, I mean, I know some of them mattered. Like, Daleon Ward had a a nice enough game, but Patrick threw for 586 yards and six TDs. And I was like, this defense sucks. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, Uh, turns out. They were playing Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, they were playing Patrick freaking Mahomes. Let's let's rewind just just a second of the interview. All the things he said about where we're going on in Arizona, we we knew when it was happening was going on, but the detail – like that has never been, and, and we knew that there there was a solid offer from Texas, yeah, you know, in there. But hearing that part of it of you know Art asking Phil what he thought about it, and then you know telling him not to mm-hmm. take it and all that, and, and the the thing that also happened, which is why Art Browse never took that job, was Texas needed the because of their policy the interview process. Like they have this thing of every we're the University of Texas. We have to interview everybody. We're not going to do. And what Art said, and I think rightfully so, was, look, man, 
you, I'll interview for the job if I know that I'm getting it. Because if I don't get it and I interview, I can't come back here. No. I mean, I, I just can't. Because then I have to explain away, like, yes, I want to interview for the job. Yes, they're our biggest you know, threat to the, the top of the Big 12. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he couldn't have come back. So Texas is like, well, we're not completely sure that that's how it's going to go. And then, he, so then, 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 of yeah. course, I'll never forget talking to Ian on that Friday when they came back from the Fiesta Bowl. Whoa, it was, man, it was intense. Just how different are a lot of lives if that takes place yeah. where he does take that job. And then, you know, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big what if. But, I mean, it was pretty clear that there was legitimate Texas interest. We knew that there was. But when they sent an Austin American States reporter, statesman reporter to cover the game, under the, the guise of, like, this guy might be the next Texas head coach. I need to be here. That was pretty clearly the evidence of, like, yeah, there's definitely some smoke oh, here. Oh, no, he wasn't sent yeah, out there no. just to kind of enjoy the sun. No, yeah. of course not. But I, I did want to mention, too, uh, that, that game, Patrick Mahomes. Kiki QT had eight catches, 221 yards, and two Lufkin, touchdowns. Texas, yeah. Dylan Cantrell, 111 for two. White House, Texas. Baylor had... Ishmael Zamora, 12 for 155 and 1. Katie Cannon, 12 for 132 and 2, uh, two touchdowns. I mean, that game was Explosive. insane. But, yeah, by the insane. way, the year before that, Mahomes was blown out. Texas Tech was blown out, 63-35. Mahomes threw for 415 yards in that one, uh, but had two picks in that game. and. But, Baylor's offense ran the ball down their throat. Yeah, I don't think I've ever asked Coach Bennett about that, though, so I need to ask him about that next week. Of like, did you have any idea this Patrick Mahomes kid was going to be, like, pretty special? Because at the time, there was enough swirling around. You're like, man, they've already thrown in the towel. But, no, that wasn't quite the case. So, anyways. All right. Uh, Remember the story that Colorado at the Rose Bowl had some jewelry stolen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You hear the update on that? A lot of reports that the UCLA recruits who were visiting for that game might be the ones who are involved. Well, if that's the case, uh, scholarship taken away, I would think, for yeah. one. That's for starters. Uh, but, yeah, that's what a bad ships look. ships under fire. <laughs> but, yeah, I, that, what a – you know, that that's happened. I have heard – a million different versions of the robbery in the locker room thing over almost every team has a robbery in the locker room story. Either they it happened to them or I remember at, at Baylor, they had a – Terrence Parks was the guy's name. Gary, do you remember this? Yeah. Uh-uh. Terrence Parks was the quarterback. He was Sean Bell's backup. And then um, – God, who's the off corner? He wound up at Boise State, um, but and, he, and in Florida, he was he was a big name. But he he had kind of grown tired of Sean Bell's athletic limitations, and thought, well, if we put Terrence Parks in the game, then we have more of an athletic chance to beat teams like Texas. And so he benched Sean for Terrence Parks, ultimately proving to be a terrible decision because they lost the games that Terrence played, and then they had to kick Terrence off the team because when they had high school games at Floyd Casey, like three nights in a row, a Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night, he strolled into the locker room and stole everybody's wallets and stuff. So they had to kick him off. Florida had a player that did the same thing. And there's so many versions of that story. It just it happens so often over so many years. I'm just surprised yeah. that nobody has like, 
locking lockers now. Yeah, I think most people do. Yeah. Uh, I think most well, people no, do. Roswell's fingerprint old. ones. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Brent yeah. Peace is who you're thinking of, yes, by the way. Yes, thank you. Um, but, yeah, that's a, that's a bad look for whoever those recruits are, and I would think that gets your scholarly pulled pretty quickly um, from both UCLA and probably Colorado. If you also had an offer from them, I would think that, that takes that away as well. So, yeah, that's, that's something to peel back the layers on a, a bit more. But, um, yeah, you want to finish off these Big 12 Yeah, let me, let me do one more. Well, this is part of the Big 12. Garrett, do you have the C.J. Vogel tweet uh, on Texas? This was after they won. He said um, – yeah, Texas is not a college, foot, uh, college football playoff team. Strike me at the stake if you want for saying that, but find a top-four team in the country that has ever blown. They didn't blow, but three 20-point leads in four weeks, and I'll eat my words. Great teams don't barely defeat bad teams. What he's mentioning there is that they've had big leads, but in the second half, and again, this last one against TCU outscored 20-3. to They're playing with fire. They're winning. They blew the fourth quarter against Oklahoma. But they're winning, but th- that was C.J. Vogel who covers I, UT football. Uh, well, I can tell you, of all the teams in the top, hold on, um, I'm taking Michigan out of this equation because we, we've talked at length about their schedule and um, you know how, how it is. But if you go through the top teams in the CFP, Georgia has had two scares, yep. right? Ohio State. Uh, has had close games, although they haven't had scares against the bad teams. Florida State they lost, has had – They had to win at Notre Dame, remember, 17-14. Yeah, of course, it's a highly ranked team. Penn State by eight. Florida State's had three. Washington's had, had three or four. Oregon's got the loss. You know, Texas has scares. Alabama – well documented mm-hmm. on 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 their, you know, not being the classic Alabama. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody has scares but Michigan. So, I think part of that's in the eye of the beholder. I think the thing that, that drives me nuts about the college football playoff discussion, when especially when it's at four, so much is on the eyeball test when if you look at everybody and how the season goes, that, yeah, most of the times they're not going to be – 12 blowouts. You're going to have your scares. No, so, some of the best teams ever still had that one game where they had to bat a pass down in the end zone or something that uh, had to go their what, way. What year was the Matt Davidson play at? Uh, 97. 97. The kick, the kick against Missouri. Yeah. yeah the kick that, catch. Yeah. Yeah. That game came down to a miracle, and and usually Nebraska, would, Missouri would have had no business being that close in that yeah. game. But it just happens. It, 12 game seasons are long. Let's go How back. How many close the, calls did TCU have last year? Oh, yeah. Michael, five. Five yeah, or six. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think that tweet rings true. I understand the sentiment of it, but I think that, you know, winning close games doesn't make you a non playoff team. I think that that's what you have to do sometimes, and it could depend on the league. It could depend on just the, the any given matchup. But I, I do understand the sentiment, but I disagree. I do think that they're sitting very close to being a playoff team right now. And if they win their next three, which include the Big 12 title, then they are like, what, at worst, number five out of four. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. They're, they're as close to a playoff team as you can be without being in that top four right now. But, you know, maybe they do get bit here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, they are certainly playing with fire, so there is something to that. All right. Uh, you have anything else to add? Uh, we have about two to four minutes. We can talk about the Big What do we – the UCF thing, we've discussed that. It was – Vegas even saw that coming. Not the win, but the, it would be tight. Well, I th- thought that the Vegas thing was very odd that they had it yeah. as such a low spread. But, I mean, R.J. Harvey had a tremendous game for UCF. That was a terrific game for him. 
Um, just a massive win for Gus Malzahn. Uh, it seemed like it was a fun game to be a part of if you're on the winning side of things as far as like the pouring down rain and just the, a fun game to play And if you're a UCF guy, I would think. Not so much for Oklahoma State, but the fact that Oklahoma State was down 24 to nothing and then finally get their first points, and it is a field goal in the third quarter, and that's immediately followed by a 92-yard R.J. Harvey touchdown run yeah. like a minute-plus later. Uh, just what a debilitating loss, uh, a brutal loss for Oklahoma State. And uh, I just – I don't know how you explain that one, but uh, that was a great win for UCF. So I just right. wanted to hammer that home as well. Texas Tech needed to win two of their win. last three. Otherwise, they are going to be uh, – they won't be bowl eligible. Texas is their last game. They went into Lawrence. I think most people probably thought that Kansas being red hot or playing well – they would probably just be able to outscore Texas Tech. They jumped on a Murley low-scoring game. Bean was hurt, but a nice win for uh, Joey and company. Yeah, that was a really good win for them. I mean, they got the early 10 nothing lead, and then Jason Bean gets hurt, and now you're down to Cole Ballard, and he played admirably. But, um, I mean, you were kind of screwed once Bean went out. I mean, you, you really were. And they made it close uh, with Ballard. Like they To their credit, they made it close and had an opportunity there, obviously at the end where they uh, tied things up. But – um, yeah, uh, the, the early onslaught in the uh, first quarter and then uh, the field goal in the third quarter by Tech to have that 13 nothing lead, that was just a little bit too much for Kansas to try to overcome all in the fourth quarter. So slow start, quarterback injury, uh, that really doomed them. But I give Tech a, a lot of credit having Baron Morton back. Certainly helps. He's not like a star coming back or anything, but it helps ease some of the problems they had um, with uh, uh, Jake Strong. Uh, Taj Brooks is a beast. I mean, that guy's as reliable as it gets as far as just week in and week out getting 100 yards and a touchdown, uh, and he's he's been really, really good for them. So, yeah, that was, a, that was a really important win for Tech. And, you know, you don't really bank on them beating Texas and Austin at the end of the year, but this UCF game now suddenly yeah. is a big game for both teams as far as bowl eligibility goes. So that's a game in Lubbock you would think favors the Red Raiders, but with what UCF just did – um, they're trying to get bowl eligible as well. Whoever wins is bowl eligible. So that's a, that's a big one coming up this weekend. And then in Cincinnati the got their first one. Good yeah, for them. Good they for really, them. really needed that. That's a brutal loss for Houston, though. Like, all the goodwill you had from beating Baylor, and you turn right around and you get beat at home by Cincinnati, who hadn't won a Big 12 game yet. So uh, they really, really needed that up uh, in Ohio, and uh, they got it. And so, yeah, you've, you've made history. Now, I think every team's still kind of waiting that – you want the new ones won, but it beat like another new team. You still want to know like when we're going to beat like an Oklahoma State or somebody who's a mainstay. But you got to get that first one, however you can get it. So I thought that that was a big time. There's still a lot of problems on that Cincinnati roster, especially at quarterback. Uh, but they've got a good run game, and uh, obviously getting three interceptions off Donovan Smith, he can be brilliant at times, but he can also turn the ball oh, over that, like nobody's yeah. business. And yeah. that was the problem in Lubbock, and that was the problem in Houston so far, and that was a problem again on Saturday for him. So. Uh, yeah, that was a that was an issue. Matthew Golden being hurt doesn't help either. So I, I wonder about Dana. They beat Baylor, but it didn't last very long. That feel good feeling. Do you have the the unfortunate tweet about Houston uh, from Joseph Duarte? This is horribly sad. Um, uh, I can confirm from multiple sources. Former Houston football players DJ Hayden, Zach McMillan. Uh, were among those killed in a collision early Saturday morning in Houston. He was a former first-round pick of the Raiders, survived the near-fatal hit-and-run back even uh, in 2012. Uh, there were others involved. This, uh, Houston put out a note about, uh, obviously, those who played. It wasn't a hit-and-run. It was a hit to the main I, vein of his heart. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, thank you for correcting me on that one. Uh, but Houston put out. It's just a horrible weekend all the way around. Horrible. 
Horrible weekend, tragic weekend. Those who were involved, people died, and then also the football team had themselves a brutal way to spend their Saturday and really the last two or three days too. So there we are with that. When we come back, Paul Catalina's top five. This is 365 Sports. Riverman Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street is uh, the original location. They now have a new location uh, to go in tandem, a sister location on Franklin Avenue in downtown Waco, and the same great customer service at each of them. Let me tell you about what they do specialize in, though, uh, at the main location, the original location, the OG. They specialize in your local craft bourbons. When I say local, I mean if it comes from the Lone Star State. Uh, they've got it there, and it, whether it's Garrison Brothers or Balcones or uh, Devil's River, like all of those made in the state of Texas, they've got all the different varieties of them there, and they get the, the varieties when they come off the line. So when it is something new, they've always got it, always there. Also have the craft beers. It is uh, that holiday time is that means the winter brews are coming out. So as as you know, you learn from the the coaches in the league. You always got to churn the roster. They churn the roster of those beers at Riverbend Liquor and Wine, the best selection in Central Texas of local craft beers. Great customer service, a speedy drive through window. If you heard me say all of that, Riverbend Liquor and Wine now with two locations to serve you. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDI see an equal housing lender. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Three Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers, too. Nachos and and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrip off I-35 in Carrollton. I hate my job, but I don't mind getting up in the morning. I dread each day, but I can't wait to get out of bed. You ask me why, and what I'll say to you is true. Well, you can get breakfast tacos at Rudy's Barbecue. Scrambled eggs and brisket, they ain't fooling around. Salsa drap, son, they're the best in town. Barbecue for breakfast, yes, it's true. Put a smile on your morning at Rudy's Barbecue. 
time for Paul Catalina's Top 5. Brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. I bet everyone saw this one coming. Top 5 Jimbo Fisher replacements. I've got top fives on Mississippi State uh, and Boise State coming as well. Um, we may move those around based on, on another suggestion uh, that I got on this today about top five things that went wrong at a and I'm not sure if I can pin it down to five or it's just five different versions of the same thing. <laughs> so, yeah. But I do have those yeah. the, that one ready to go, uh, or at least it's in the, it's in the thought process uh, right now of getting that one done. Number five, uh, Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. If you want the kind of R.C. Slocum vibe back, I think the closest coach to that, and maybe a little bit in Lance Leipold, in that, but schematically they're different, but Chris Kleiman to me has that R.C. Slocum vibe to him in that you're going to you know play powerful, tough, violent football. Your defense is always going to be solid. Uh, the wrecking crew, you know, old school A&M stuff, Chris Kleiman. I don't think that the coach from Kansas State, as successful as he has been, and not just at Kansas State, at North Dakota State before that, is going to be what they're looking for. But I do think culturally, based on what has been successful at A&M in the past, he is certainly a fit. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to see his name on this list. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it makes sense for the reasons why you mentioned him. Um, I think he's obviously got a really great thing going on in Manhattan right now. Uh, they are set up to win a lot of Big 12 titles and, you know, flirt with the playoff pretty consistently and uh, be one of the uh, the better teams in the Big 12 moving forward. Uh, but, you know, hey, money talks and situation talks and all that. I don't know. He strikes me as somebody that wouldn't really love all of the politics and a lot of just the, the kind of messiness of yeah. A&M. But then again, if you're going to deal with that and then get like an $80 million check when things don't work out, then, hey, maybe you put up with that for a little while, right? Yeah. Um, money does talk after all. But, yeah, I mean, this this never even crossed my mind. But A&M could do far worse, and there's not too many guys they could really do better with. So I would think that, you know, you would at least check that box and just reach out and see what the interest level might be. But it almost does feel like he's not good enough for them, even though he's plenty good enough hey, for them and he's oh, been better than them. No, so. no stone on like, no, yeah, sure. no stone unturned. And yeah. this is a guy who knows how to build championship programs. Yeah. And uh, North Dakota state, uh, without is, overextending by yeah. doing it methodically. Yes, exactly. So, um, and, and Kansas state could very well be that he's, he's still early on at Kansas state relatively uh, there. Number four, Jonathan Smith uh, is about to be in a situation where uh, he is not a Power 5 head coach anymore. Uh, and in a weird situation. Now, he's at his alma mater, but he's one of the best young coaches in the country. He's put together a really good staff. Now, has he recruited this part of the country really before? No, no, no. But um, as you guys have heard me say before, good coaches are good coaches no matter where their feet are. Um, I, I, I really fought it during the whole, like, Matt Rule thing to not like jump through the phone at some of our college. We're like, man, this guy doesn't speak Texas. And you're like, he speaks English, right? Like, that's yeah. all he needs to do. Like, believe me, uh, you know, you, you're probably a Cowboys fan. You love Randy White, right? Yeah. He 
puts all the boots and the cowboy stuff on now, but he's from Maryland. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like he, you can adapt to places you are. And I think this is, if you want a coach who is on the rise and has not even hit his full potential yet, that could come in and make your program his own. I think you could do a lot worse than Jonathan Smith. Now this one would be maybe even pushing it a little further out because again, you've got to appease the fan base and Oregon state may not be in their realm of, of worldview. They have Washington at home this weekend. What a yeah. game that's going to be. Yeah. yeah. It's setting up to be a big week for them. I mean, there's uh pack 12 discussions ongoing. I think uh, what tomorrow there might be or tomorrow or Wednesday, maybe tomorrow, there's tomorrow. Uh, yeah. more light shed on what exactly is going to happen with that whole situation. So you say they're not a power five, but maybe they are yeah. like, we, we don't know. Like they're a power five in a group of two conference. Uh, yeah. I don't know how all that's going to work. Or maybe they're not, and maybe they are putting together some renegade schedule and flying by the seat of their pants for the next couple of years. Um, that's that's got to get cleared up to make this situation make yeah. a bit more sense. But, I mean, I think the biggest thing here is, is he going to leave Oregon State at their time of ultimate weakness when he's an Oregon State guy? Yeah. Um, that's That's got to be – you know, the, the timing matters a lot in these things, right? And that's like with the Dan Campbell thing of, like, why would he leave the Detroit Lions <laughs> right now especially – uh, when they're on the precipice of maybe having the greatest Lions team of all time uh, to go back to a- to A and M, that just I-, I think the timing's not right there right now. I think for Jonathan Smith, I don't know if the timing's right to leave Oregon State in this moment of all moments. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like with the Chris Kleiman thing of yeah, you check every box, you you turn over every leaf, and he's a hell of a football coach, and he's got them in a really great spot right now, and they've got some very interesting games coming up here. Uh, to close out the season. So, yeah, uh, I think he's a guy that everybody with an opening should at least look into. Now, he is an all-West Coast guy. He's only yeah. coached on the West Coast. He's from the West Coast and all that. Um, but it's coaching. So, like you say, with Matt Rule, like yeah. you, you can would adapt he, and go anywhere. Would he be up for the UCLA Oh, job yeah, I was just about yet? to say that. Yeah. Like, look, if UCLA comes open, yeah. that might be who they, they go and grab. Although, they, I know that they like their defensive coordinator a lot uh, as well. Number three. Our good buddy, Jeff Trailer. Now, this would be the one where I think you would wonder about how fast can he, he keep that roster. Now, look, uh, he's already done a great job of recruiting his own roster at UTSA with far less resources and making sure that most of them don't, don't slip into the transfer portal. He's done a great job of that. So he has those skills. Plus, if you want to talk about owning recruiting in Texas, he would totally do that. East Texas, Houston, like he would be able to – Basically, um, you know, how Howard Schnellenberger set up the state of Miami, I think he could put up as much of a border on East Texas as anybody could. He would, um, get, he would get a chunk out of there, but he's also now, because he was a part of the Texas staff, yeah. SMU staff, the Arkansas staff, so he's had some other places he's learned. But he would, yeah, no, he could recruit it, whether it's Waco, Fort Worth, College Station or anywhere. Yeah, but I'm just, like just saying of like being able to kind of corner a region where Absolutely. you can you can kind of pepper because Houston's got to be a And A and M always used to have a huge pipeline into that area. Yeah, and they really have gotten more national, which is fine. And he'll be able to Terry do that with Bussey the from Timpson put up that hmm when he saw the news about Jimbo Fisher. Great yeah, play so, out of Timpson. Yeah, we'll see. I I I actually think AM should be able to retain most of it because most of it's now a financial decision. But I think Jeff would do and he might be the overall best choice for this job, but I'm not sure that he will be the choice for the job. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they do need to move quickly, though, with that yeah. recruiting class and with uh, the portal opening up and just all that's coming with that. Uh, so, yeah, I do think they need to move quickly for guys like Terry Bussey and, and others that are a part of that commitment list. But, yeah, I mean, he checks all the boxes. Um, I think, 
you know, the Frank Harris era is about to end after six years in San Antonio. Yeah. So the timing would be right um, there as far as, you know, kind of going out the same time as Frank Harris because of the way you guys have been lined up together. I do wonder, like, has he – I know he'd probably balk at this and bark at this, but, you know, have you kind of tapped out what you're going to be able to do at UTSA? Like, I know you could run it back and win 12 games another year or whatever, but it's like how much more are you really going to do? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. At, at UTSA, he just seems bound for bigger things. Remember what he said to us about the indoor facility, things like that? How much more can they add to the yeah. mix? Too? Well, I know, but I've, I've heard what Matt Rule said about his time at Baylor, and I've yeah. heard what, you know, like, I mean, coaches say what they say. I, I do believe he has a fond love for UTSA, but I don't no, think – No, I'm th- saying is remember he, out, he they don't have one. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that that also part of it is he's grumbled a lot about – certain things they do or do not have, like yeah. very openly. And they've given them a lot. And they've given a lot, too, yeah. but it's still like not quite well, enough for what they would want to do. At A&M, that would not be much of an issue. It's not going to move as fast. Right. They don't have a black card. A&M right. has a black exactly. card. Yeah, so they, he'd be able to do whatever he wants. And, and so, yeah, it would, it would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Number two from the Jimbo staff off to um, Duke right now and doing one of the best jobs in the entire country. And if he had a healthy quarterback right now, I don't know what Duke's record would be. Uh, they have four losses. I feel like that's not a, a fair assessment of how good uh, they have been, especially defensively. But Mike Elko uh, knows the area, recruited the area, uh, knows the – I mean, he recruited the whole country with, with Jimbo Fisher. He could come in, and I do think he is not only re- maintaining the recruiting class, but maintaining Evan Stewart and Connor Wigman and – uh, Bryce Foster and guys like that, like that are already on the and Reuben Owens, guys like that who are already on the roster and will be coming back. Those are the guys you need to to also make sure you keep, and so that the next guy can come in. I think Mike Elko can do that. I saw where one of the receivers has already entered the portal. Yeah, I mean that's going to happen no matter yeah. what. Like and that, that could happen, happen no, no matter, matter what. what. Yeah. But yeah. the as long as that guy's name is not Evan Stewart. Then yeah. you're you still yeah. your head's above water. There's some people salivating on that name. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd be more worried about the defensive side because that's where yeah. I feel like they've really got their money makers that have proven themselves already uh, yeah. in so many ways. And so he would help out with that immensely. The offensive side, though, you're right. I mean, your Evan Stewart's, your Reuben Owens, is your Connor Wegmans, and all those guys you, you've uh, you've gone and got these last few years. Yeah, I mean, they're all. I'm sure getting phone calls and text messages and everything else here over the last 24 hours. So he does seem like somebody that could stop the bleeding. If there is bleeding, like obviously it's too early to know for sure, but uh, the familiarity, the success already having gone and, you know, done his thing there in Durham for, uh, for uh, was it been a couple years now? And um, yeah, just two. Yeah, just the two years. But, uh, and like I said, the familiarity and the knowledge of kind of what's already going on there, yeah, he would seem to be a logical candidate and uh, one that would line up really well. But, you know, is he uh, is he the slam dunk? No, I think they're going to look at a lot of different people for sure. No. And number one, this one to me is the hardest one to get done, but I do think it's if you want – what you really are searching for. I think this is the guy, young, SEC experience, uh, a, like, proven winner at Oregon. Uh, not losing, like, losing game. Like, he loses close games at Oregon. Like, when they lose, they lose close games. They win on the road. They do, they do all these things. Now, I know it's early on, but Dan Lanning uh, knows all the moves to make, can recruit, um, go to the coaching staff, clearly can navigate uh, at least one big gigantic donor uh, and and do well with that. And before everybody pushes back on me on this, and I agree, like there's not a reason right now he can he's going to the Big Ten with Oregon. Um, there's all these new things happening there. 
Phil Knight, Nike Money, blah, blah, blah. They've lost their last two head coaches just walking out the door. So this is not necessarily something, and I think Phil Knight is part of this because he does run one of the most successful businesses on planet Earth in that he knows if someone wants to leave, you let them leave. Yeah, and, and they so, did, and guess what he's done? Yeah, he's won. and so he's won yeah. because they know that nothing is um, – this isn't like cobalt, where it's a finite resource. There is This is an infinite resource. If you hire well, you're always going to get good guys. So I do think that this is in the realm of possibility. And remember, Oregon has a partial share for a couple years. A&M doesn't have to worry about that. I don't know. I'm just saying this one makes a lot of sense. Well, but it, I mean, that's the, the timing is really, hear. really yeah. rough. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that, that's the one that you've heard the most since yesterday's news or even before that that's yeah. a lesson that uh, a lot of teams Baylor too uh needs to learn is about the uh the handling of those coaches contracts and be like all right you want to go all right we'll go find another guy that's fine I mean and I know that Oregon didn't just like put up no fight for their guys but they didn't yeah. like the world is ending we're losing Willie Taggart yeah. to Florida State or Mario's going to Miami we'll never recover they've recovered every time so yeah I think there's a lesson to be learned there for sure um, and not get uh, too over your skis with trying to lock guys down for you know forever and ever. But yeah, he's the he's the name that's the most widely mentioned. I mean, he's the the big time you know next man up candidate for any major job, and he's already had a major job. You know, is the Big Ten thing a good or a bad thing in his eyes? You know, I don't know how he views it. He obviously knows the SEC very well. I'm sure he feels like he could go to College Station and win big. But is it enough of a of a tick up? you know, to, to make it worth it, to pack your bags and get back up again and, and go back uh, to the south. I, I don't know. That, that's going to be fascinating, though, because he's he's going to be mentioned quite a bit uh, so long as that job's open and depending on what other ones open up. And in the future, any other ones that open up, he's going to be the top of yeah, those lists, too. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see yeah. kind of where his mind is as far as the and, ducks and the longevity there. And, and to answer Paxton really quick, no, it's not going to be Urban Meyer. And it's not going to be Deion Sanders. No, I would want it to be Urban just to sit back and watch everybody like they'd lose win. their they'd, freaking yeah, mind. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I don't like to stand on any moral high horses uh, because, you know, we're all fra- uh, flawed human beings. But as a person who grew up in that world, um, I would not. I would not. Hey. And then this is not going to make them do it, but it would break my heart. Yeah, uh, it well, would absolutely you know break my heart. They'd probably win a national title. <laughs> they'd probably, and, and, probably and, win a yeah, national title. They probably title. would. They would, and then whatever's left behind. And then it'd be bad after that, but yeah. Oh, but guess. then he's going to leave in three years when he's right. got health problems and somebody's punched their girlfriend and it's not his fault. Right. Like, you know, like, yeah, go ahead. He beat Florida State a lot. He did he beat is. Florida State a lot, but, but he also is. But what in the end, was it worth it? Yeah, if you're a Florida fan, but at the same time, but there's a lot of Spurrier beat him too, I don't have the same feelings for him. Paul, Paul yeah. hates Urban, if you can't tell, so he would be very torn on this. But Dion, <laughs> that's also another interesting one. I, I don't what know. What happened to the players at Colorado not being able to transfer a second time? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if the time, again, timing's so important here. Yeah. I don't know if the timing would be right, like not only on Dion's end, but on A&M's end. Do they feel like this is the big step that they need to make to turn the program around after paying Jimbo all that money is to throw it all at Dion now? Like, I don't know about that either, well, but he's obviously well, an interesting name to mention. He, there's some other things that have gone on at Texas A&M recently that would I would think would preclude Dion from going there. Oh, okay. because of the one professor who Well, was... it's not just and it's not just that one thing, but that's the big thing. Yeah. And yeah. so they've got some things that they need to prove to the rest of the world that they're not for Dion to walk through that door. All right. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate that. By the way, the Big 12 players of the week, Dylan Gabriel, 
Uh, they ought to just gone co with him and Drake Stoops, who was amazing in that game against West Virginia. Damari Henderson, Defensive Player of the Week from UCF. Iowa State running back Abu Sama, uh, who was fan- the third, who was fantastic in a route of BYU. And Texas Tech kicker Gino Garcia were the Big 12 Players of the Week this past week. Yeah. Stoops now has 62 catches, nine touchdowns. In the same numbers statistically with Worthy and Brown and many others, uh, including the touchdowns tied with A.D. Mitchell for nine in the conference, overall in the conference. Gino Garcia, uh, yeah, had obviously a very big role in that Texas Tech win, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think the only game we didn't mention a little while ago was Iowa State blowout of BYU, so I'm glad that uh, we rounded back to that to touch on that. So, yeah, really good win for the Cyclones who are sitting pretty right now as far as just how these next couple of weeks go. Like there's an outside, outside shot still right at the Big 12 champion. You're doing a little simulator thing earlier. There's like an outside shot that Iowa State could still be in that mix with that win because they're sitting there at five and two. So, I mean, they're they're in pretty – uh, good shape, and now 6-4 and four overall. They're going bowling, so that was a big win. I think for BYU, like, I've been pretty pessimistic about BYU all year, if y'all remember. I've not yeah. really been sold on them. I think that was just another indication of they've got a really long way to go, and I think it kind of sunk in on Saturday for a lot of fans, too, of like, yeah, we just got blown out by Iowa State. Blown um, out, but Texas beat them up pretty good. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of in a little bit of a free fall. And at, at home, too, so yeah. it's uh, it's not... Like, that that was even yeah. more surprising. Okay, thank you to Garrett Ross, Jack McKenzie, Emery Winters, working on 365 Sports tonight, tonight at 10.30, every weeknight at 10.30 on the CW. Levi Carraway, back at it again tomorrow. We're live every day, 3 until 6 on 365 Sports. Please pass along, share, tell a friend, or thousands of people. And then also, Paul and Triple Option tomorrow from 1 until 2. For Craig Smoke and Paul Catalina, uh, another week of college football we will discuss and more. I'm David Smoke. Have a great night and good night. Ideal MRI is a small family business right here in Central Texas. We're open to support you while lowering the cost of health care bills. When you need an MRI, ask your doctor for an Ideal MRI. Visit us at IdealMRI.com or call us at 833-888-8888.